Welcome back to Word of God. We're three English majors who have set out to analyze Supernatural now that it's done to figure out what was it supposed to be, what did it become, and how. I'm Ash, the old-time fan. My pronouns are vvim or it, itself, and you can follow me uh, at Twitch on twitch.tv slash ashcommaman. I'm Emma, the latecomer. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns, and you can follow me on Tumblr at LazarusEmma. I'm Wyatt, the newcomer. I use he, him pronouns, and you can find me on Twitter at ToppleThrones. Okay, so today we're doing episodes 4, 5, and 6, Phantom Traveler, Bloody Mary, and Skin. So, uh, I like I liked this episode. I thought it was fun, um, and thus I'm doing the synopsis. <laughs> so, we begin with a nervous man who's about to board a plane, and then he gets possessed by some kind of creepy smoke, uh, which suddenly makes him a lot bolder. There's a good shift in this uh, bit actor here. Um, on the plane, he goes over the door and just opens it and gets sucked out into the air, uh, which shouldn't be possible at the time. I was like, excuse me, what? Uh, but this gets addressed later, so good job. Uh, it's very dramatic. I like the scene. I like the way the plane shook around. It was very freaky. Uh, I am also afraid of traveling, and uh, thus the scene was effective for me. And then we cut to we cut to Dean, who is uh, who is sleeping. The show tries to scare us all by making us think Sam is some kind of monster when he walks in on Dean, but we were all too busy appreciating his butt to be scared. I'm sure. <laughs> it was uh, a very good shot of Dean. <laughs> so the two of them talk they're like Sam's we're gonna objectify Jensen Ackles he's yeah, yes um, Sam's still having nightmares the poor boy uh, Dean meanwhile says he's never afraid and he sleeps with a huge knife under his pillow this knife is so big you guys it's so big he says it's not fear it's precaution yeah yeah it's precaution uh, which I guess it's true, but we do learn later that there is something he's afraid of. I thought this knife would come back. I thought they were doing a, a Chekhov's gun here, but no, it's just a joke. You think Supernatural can follow Hold through on things? Hold of you to assume Supernatural is... <laughs> it's true. Okay. I mean... They okay, actually, Chekhov's sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, okay, Dean gets a call from a guy uh, he and his dad helped once named Jerry. Uh, he, they helped him with a poltergeist attack. Uh, he works for the airport, conveniently. Um... And he's like, something's up. This plane crashed. Um, and also he says that John was real proud of Sam and talked about him all the time, which is both baffling and interesting to me and also baffling to Sam. Uh, I like how this guy is just like, yeah, monsters exist. It's cool to see when someone who's been through supernatural bullshit just comes out the other side and is living a normal life. So Jerry shows them a tape with a demon screaming on it, and it sounds like a distorted jaguar. Uh, turns out almost everyone on that plane died, but seven people survived. Uh, so the brothers are going to check this out. Dean forges them Homeland Security ID so they can go check out the wreckage for the plane. Uh, Sam does a EVP on the recording and hears a spooky voice saying, No survivors, which is weird because there are seven survivors. Uh, the boys also reference Flight 401 here, which I think is cool and I will talk about later for my, my folklore minute. Um... They go talk to a guy named Max, who's at a psychiatric hospital. He's the guy who saw the possessed dude at the start open the door in the cold open, uh, which, like I said earlier, he says is impossible. There's like two tons of force on that door. He looked it up. Uh, so the brothers now have a lead, and they go check out the home of the guy who opened the door, who was a regular-ass dude who had acid reflux and was like, what was he, an accountant? I didn't write that down. I just thought it was funny. He was a dentist. It's like very... 
He was a dentist. He was a dentist. I can check Thank the you. Script. It was a very normal job. There you go. I believe you that he was a dentist. That that hits my memory. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they interrogate this guy's. He was going to a convention yes. in Denver. Uh, they interrogate this guy's wife. Uh, it's. It, I felt bad for her. Um, so the boys are like, okay, no leads here. We're gonna go check out this wreckage. They go get suits, uh, which is great. Dean hates it. Sam teases him. They do this so they blend in better as Homeland Security agents. Uh, they do extremely looks like look like X Files characters in this next scene, and I love it. They get into the plane wreckage. Dean has a homemade EMF reader, which is very cute. I like this a lot. Sam teases it's him about adorable. it. Adorable. Uh, this is our first indication that he likes to make and tinker with stuff, right? I think. Yeah, he's got like skills that he's proud of. Yeah, I think it's so. Good. I look forward to see more of that. Um. So then, the, as they're doing this, uh, they, oh, they also get a sample uh, from the plane. Um. Uh, but as they're doing this, the real Homeland Security guys show up and uh, escalate immediately to guns, which, I don't know, on one hand, this feels like an overreaction, but also... Yeah. but also yeah, Exactly, I put it in my notes, too. They are also Homeland Security, so, you know. But it does feel like uh, you could have at least checked out, maybe off... It was pretty funny. It was like, <laughs> yeah. you can't even just, like, assume it was a misunderstanding uh -huh. from head office to accidentally send two groups. They're just like, oh, we better shoot yeah. these guys. And, like, I don't know, maybe there's a deleted scene, or they cut that out of the script for time or something, but it is... It is very funny that just cuts immediately them running down the hall with their guns out. Um, but it isn't a problem. The boys book it and get away. Uh, Dean uses his suit jacket to block the barbed wire, which I really like. He's like, oh, this thing was useful for something after all. Although, I think the barbed wire had, like, a thing at the top that was not barbed wire that you could just grab onto. Uh, so, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, not to mention, I'm pretty sure, like, when Sam climbed yeah, up... Yeah, Sam just did it. He did not use No, yeah, Dean's Sam jacket. just did it and was fine, was the thing. Like, oh, I would I would have liked this more if, like, Sam got a little fucked up from doing it the normal way, but it's fine. We cut back to the pilot, Chuck, who's about to start flying again. I have a very fun fact about this actor, but I'll do that later. Uh, he isn't doing so hot, which is fair, because he crashed. Uh, his buddy's, like... His buddy's trying to help, but isn't doing a very good job, I don't think. It's, like, it's just like getting back on a, on a horse. Except it's a pony, because it's a small plane. Um, but anyway, the point is that the smoke possesses him, uh, because he's scared. The, we cut back to the boys, who learn from Jerry. Uh, they do like some lab analysis that there's sulfur on the sample they got from the plane. Uh, and then, then Jerry just leaves the scene to go fire someone, which I thought was funny. Um... The boys learn from the sulfur that this was a possession, but apparently this sort of possession where a demon crashes a plane is very rare. We cut back to the poor pilot, who ironically in this moment crashes his plane. Uh, he and his friend die. Sam does that thing again where he says every culture, uh, specifically in this case, has the concept of demon, which is not true! Which is not true, Supernatural! Although I do like that they it's have never a, true. It's never true, yeah. I do like they have a corkboard filled with various plain stuff and images of demons on it, though. That was, that was good. I like that. Um, Sam then says that Japan has demons, which continues to not be true. Uh, they have spirits, which is different. Dean references a earthquake demon and a disease demon in this scene. Uh, for the earthquake demon, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Onamazu, which is not a demon or a spirit. It's a giant catfish. Uh, it is said to live beneath Japan and cause earthquakes. 
Uh, yeah, it's just a giant mythological beast. It's not a demon. Uh, for the disease demon, I believe he's talking about uh, Yakub Yogami, which translates into pestilent spirit or disease god. Uh, there are lots of different kinds of these, and they were both warded off and worshipped in different parts of Japan. Again, not demons. And all this Japanese demon stuff is a weird aside anyway, since it isn't even a yokai, we learn later. It's a regular demon. And by regular, we mean Christian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's what people think of when they think of demons. Um, yep. it, it... I'm going to get back to that. There's a lot of Christian imagery in this yeah, episode they, yes. in particular. Um, anyway, the boys learn that Chuck, the pilot, has crashed... Uh, the boys also learn that both flights crashed at 40 minutes, which Dean asserts means death. It does not. It does not mean that. I looked this up. I could not find anywhere. Doesn't. I was so mad about I this I was one. so mad. It's like, it just means a long period of time. He refers to it as biblical numerology, uh -huh. and it is simply it's, not the case. That's not the case. It's fucking incredible. Like, 40 does show it up does a lot show up a lot, Bible, but, but it not just means, because it means death. It just means a long time. It's like large round yeah. number. Uh-huh. <sighs> anyway, uh, Sam learns that this has happened six times prior and there were never any survivors, which causes big alarm bells, because that means the demon is likely going after all the survivors. I think this is really funny. I think it's really funny that the demon only appears to be able to kill people when they're on a plane. Like, the rest of the survivors apparently are fine because they're not flying anytime soon. I don't know, I guess this demon just has a very specific desire with which it wants to kill people. It can wait. It's got its, it's notice got of it, yeah. it, wants it only to does to planes. It. I mean, in fairness, it's a very efficient way of killing people because it can do a whole plane load at once instead of going picking them off one after t one at a time. Even though it apparently does want to pick off these people. Yeah, one these at a time. people. That's the thing. Previously, it made sense of like, yeah, I'm just gonna kill a bunch of people with this plane. But if it wants to kill the survivors, it feels like there's an easier way. I don't know. Um. But anyway, yeah, like I said, uh, Sam calls a bunch of people and learns that they're not flying anytime soon, which means the only person left who's in danger is the flight attendant from the cold open. So they drive five hours straight to the airport she's at. Uh, Dean continues to be terrible at lying when he tells the attendant that her daughter got in a car crash. Turns out they were talking five minutes ago, and Dean almost salvages it here, but nope. Uh, Dean, being bad at lying, definitely goes on the bingo card. So Sam has a terrible plan, which is just board the plane. It's fine. We'll deal with it. And uh, this is where we learn that Dean is afraid of flying. Uh, and he makes this face that made my heart melt. Uh, and he goes, why do, you, why do you think I drive everywhere, Sam? Which I liked. Oh, I love that line. <laughs> I also wrote that down. I think, I think it's great as a like, Watsonian reason yeah. for why they're always driving. Um, for anyone not familiar with mm -hmm. the term I just used, Watsonian is the opposite of Doyleist, wherein... Mm -hmm. Um, as a reference to the uh, Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which the framework for that is that Doyle is writing these stories, but as Watson as the narrator. So Watson is telling the story in the universe. So um, a, a Doyleist explanation is like from the perspective of the author or the creator, whereas a Watsonian explanation is from within the characters and in-universe explanation. I pause us now to explain this because it's going to come up a lot when we start talking about the meta narrative aspects of the show. Excellent. Because it mm -hmm. set that up early. Yes. Right. So uh, Sam says, okay, I'll do it myself. And it turns out the only thing that Dean hates more than flying is uh, letting Sam do something by himself. 
Uh, so in a very good cut, like it cuts from that scene, then it cuts to Sam on the plane, and then the camera pans to show Dean sitting next to him, looking very uncomfortable. Also, right, he's humming some kind of monster by Metallica, which I love. It's very cute. Oh, it's adorable. Sam Sam ribs him for it, and he's like, it calms me down. This is such a good Dean episode. Yeah. This is where we learn, uh, it gets confirmed that demons possess people who are in a bad mental state, because Sam's like, Dean, you're basically ripe for demonic possession right now. Um, actually, that might be later, but regardless, it's in this general time period where we learn that. Um, and, uh, also, they're, so they're trying to figure out who the flight attendant is, and Dean asks this one flight attendant who's on the screen for, like, five seconds, but I love her, the little mm-hmm she does to Dean when he apologizes is so condescending, it's really funny. Good. And then this is where I got very mad in the Discord, because they're talking about how to figure out if someone's a demon, and Sam says, oh, just say the word of, just say the name of God in Latin. And then he says, Christo, which isn't, which, which means Christ. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean God. I did not sing Agnes Day in church for most of my life for Sam to be wrong about something so basic, you guys. It's so embarrassing. And for we him. will definitely get into this uh-huh. after the synopsis because there's uh-huh. a whole thing about it. Um it's 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 Deus, by the way, is God in Latin. Uh you know like Deus so, ex machina? Hello? Yeah, uh-huh, like Deus ex machina. This is the thing. Uh we'll talk about this later. Uh so Dean's like, that must be the flight attendant then, and gets up and goes down to talk to her, proceeds to have an extremely awkward conversation with her. Uh, and he, he does get some advice about being afraid. Uh, she is not possessed. When Dean comes back and sits down, he says she's the most well-adjusted person he's ever met, which I thought was funny. Um, mm-hmm. Sam finds a exorcism in their dad's journal from the Ritual Romanum, which is a real book of rites in the Catholic Church, uh, and the ritual they do later is the, like, actual rite of exorcism, so I guess they did their research right here, at least. Um... Dean goes up and down the plane, scanning it with his EMF reader. Everyone looks at him like he's crazy. Uh, Sam jump scares him, also. Um, There's a very funny bit where he kind of eyes this goth person yeah. on the plane, and he, like, he acts a little bit surprised that they're not the possessed one, which I thought was kind of funny. It was. Dean is gothphobic. He is, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> So yeah, they learn... He's embarrassed of his own past. They learn from this that the uh, co-pilot is the one possessed. Uh, Christo works. You have a headcanon for this, which I would love for you to talk about later, because I liked it. Um, Absolutely. I think it's very funny. But, uh, yeah, so they go talk to the flight attendant and warn her. Uh, she fairly is freaked out, but they managed to convince her, uh, because she's the one who saw the weird eye guy also on the uh, plane in the cold open. One thing... I'll, I'll talk about this very briefly. I was very confused about the time in this episode, about, like, when that initial crash happened, because it feels like the seven survivors should have been probably badly injured, but they are, they're all fine. I don't know. It's just a thing I thought about, like, right now. Except for Max, who's using a cane. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know much about plane crashes, but it feels like the pilot especially... Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, this demon's really bad at killing people. Yeah. Yes, so they talk to her, and uh, she goes to go get the co-pilot. Um, 
and uh, it works. She manages to get him and bring him back over, and uh, Dean just immediately knocks him out and tapes his mouth shut and sprays him with holy water. The flight attendant is very freaked out. Sam begins to encant the exorcism. The fact that no one else on the plane hears this or wonders what's going on or is concerned is absurd. They are making so much noise. Sound carries pretty well in a plane with everyone who's been on a plane with a crying baby would know. Uh, This is very dumb. It's, There's it's like a so little dumb. curtain, and that is all separating them from uh-huh. like passengers. Yeah, it's He's very literally apparently... beating this guy's face in. Uh-huh. It's apparently a soundproof curtain, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, so anyway, as this is going on, the plot shows up briefly as Sam is interrupted from the ritual by the demon taunting him about his girlfriend, uh, and it interrupts the exorcism. The smoke leaves the co-pilot and goes into the plane itself, which sends the diary, like, flying down the length of the plane. Sam will have to go get it. Why couldn't the demon have just done this to begin with? Why did it need to possess a person if it could just possess the plane? Uh, well, because they talk about, um, that the, the exorcism makes the demon manifest, which makes them stronger. Yeah, it, it, it expels it from the host, and then it can be sent back to hell but so, first it's out of the body previously previously the demon was only strong enough to possess people but in its powered up mid exorcism state it can yes. possess a whole plane yes. okay fair enough i missed that glad, glad there's an answer for that interestingly though this never comes up again ever they do exorcisms oh, all the time right. and it's just fine there's okay. so much about this episode that never <sighs> comes up again and i will well, list them all looking forward to that Okay, so the plane begins to plummet. Uh, it's very dramatic. Sam, like, makes his way to get the book, get the journal, uh, slash diary, whatever. Uh, Sam finishes the ritual. He exercises the plane. The day is saved. It's Like I said, it's very dramatic. Uh, I like the plane stuff in this episode. There's a great bit while the plane is falling where Dean is just screaming in the corner and making funny faces. It's adorable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dean hates it. Dean's having a very bad time. Literally. Dean has a terrible time in this episode. And that's why it's good. Exactly. Um, Hunter-shaped punching bag. Huge win for (laughs) Dean girls. Mm -hmm. Okay, in our our denouement, uh, we see that the co-pilot is okay. Uh, I was curious about this. I was curious as to whether a possession, like, killed the person who was in it or not, and the answer is no. Um, you two are laughing. I think it's interesting that, like, the holy Sorry. water literally burned the guy, but then he's fine. Um, I guess once the demon left him, I know. he's oh, yeah. no longer burned. I didn't think about that. But I also, guess his, like, his memory was wiped, too, somehow. It's just, like, he forgot everything that happened. Which is convenient, because it means he can't press charges against these guys for attacking him. Yeah, it's true. So, so yeah, uh, the flight attendant thanks the boys. And doesn't give them over to the cops. Yes, uh, which is which is nice, I guess. Uh, so, finally, Sam's still fucked up over Jessica. Dean tries to reassure him. It does not work. Uh, and then Jerry sends them off. And uh, also, the boys learn here from Jerry that their dad has set up a referral to Dean on his answering machine. Um, so yeah, I guess final thoughts on me before we just do roundtable talk. Uh, I like this episode. It was kind of cheesy, but I think a demon on a plane is a fun conceit for your first demon. And I like that they started to set up the demonic mythology here, even if it's kind of wrong and also a bunch of it doesn't come up again, I guess. I'm sick of these motherfucking demons on my motherfucking plane. (laughs) 
I think as a, as an episode that introduces a monster that comes back a lot, I think it's not bad. I think um, kind of similar to Doctor Who setting up Weeping Angels and then just continuously adding powers to it. This kind of does the opposite. Yeah. Um, in its subsequent appearances, there is just certain aspects of the lore mentioned here that they decided not to use in future. So um, I don't think they ever use Christo again. Um, they do it, not. They, yeah, thank that's you, Ash. Just, Literally sorry. never even Which mentioned again. Which is good, because it shouldn't work, because <laughs> that's the wrong word. Yeah. Um, they don't do the weirdly powerful mid-exorcism bit, as far as I can mm-hmm. tell. Which is too bad, because that's a cool... That's cool for drama, I think. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. usually mid-exorcism, they'll just, like, start screaming and billowing smoke and whatever, but uh-huh. they don't, like, become more well, powerful. Also, also, usually from now on, when they exercise demons, they're in a devil's trap. So even That's if they true. got more powerful, they mm. literally can't do anything about it. Fair yeah. enough. But yeah, first demon of the show. Very exciting. Very cute how, at the start, they were like, oh my god, I don't know demons. This isn't our usual gig. And then, like, uh-huh. the rest of the show. <laughs> I literally, my favorite meme is, like, that screenshot and then the picture of them sitting next to Crowley. So like. Good. <laughs> they just, they just become very casual about this sort of thing, but th- at this point, they're just Great. so little and so unused to things, which also is funny because they've been hunting for all of their lives and they've never encountered a demon. Yeah. Another mark in the box of ja- John is the worst hunter in the world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, is there, is that like, is there going to be an escalation of demons yes. like in the plot? Like, is there yes. a reason why? Okay, yes. So at yes least and that's yes. like an explained thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I would imagine that because John has an exorcism in his journal, that kind of implies that he has faced demons before. It's true. But he probably yeah. finds them too dangerous to bring Sam and Dean on the hunt. Yeah. Um, he probably sense. hasn't found very many of them. But Well, especially, like, if your child is scared and gets possessed by a demon. That'd yeah. be bad. Yeah. Oh, boy. I hope no children are possessed by demons in this show. Uh-huh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, um, real quick, there is one small thing I wanted to say, which I forgot to add. Uh, during that early scene where they're talking to Jerry, uh, there's a bit, like, when he talks about the poltergeist, just a random guy that they're walking by goes, Poltergeist, I love that movie. I have that and written I down, too. It's up. so good. It's so funny. Literally, I was like, hmm, is Jerry a New Yorker? Because he literally goes, no one's talking to you. Fuck off. Yeah, oh, Jerry <laughs> like... has big New Yorker energy. I'm claiming him. <laughs> Claiming him for the New York. He does just fire an employee, which I feel is less valid, but... Yeah. I don't know. Who knows what that guy was doing, I guess. Yeah. I love Jerry. I think he's great. He's great. Does he come back? No. No. Uh, <laughs> I learned... I, I learned that uh, Sam's friend in uh, Skin also doesn't come back, and I'm like, what? You, yeah. You guys, you could have... You have these fun characters who, like, have connection to our protagonist. You could bring them back, like a few times at least. Well, I'm going to mention that character in like a later season because I think that it's interesting, but um, no, she doesn't come back. Or Zach doesn't come back. I don't know which one you were talking about. But we're not talking about skin yet, so let's get back to Phantom Traveler, I guess. Unless you have something Emma else will to say. Go insane. Yeah, I know. I just, I just wanted to bring that up in terms of like setting up characters and then doing nothing with them. Yeah, yes. that is. Love it. <laughs> Welcome to Supernatural. <laughs> <sighs> Um, oh, another thing about the demons that does not get continued, uh, the demon possesses the people by going into their eyes. In the future, demons possess people by going into their mouths, uh, Mm. and then Mm -hmm. being expelled from their mouths. Um, that's just, like, a small thing I thought was funny. I think it's a good decision. It looks a lot cooler when they can open their mouth and pour out smoke than, like, just go into their eyeballs. Yes. 
It allows for yes. much more the smoke dynamic effect, acting. Though, I quite liked. It was very, very 2005. Yes. Yeah, but it was 2005 in a way that's like this is fine. Like yeah, still, yeah. I wasn't like off put by. I it thought it was up. good, it, but it also looks very different from literally every other demonic smoke ever. Okay. I just this I is just like this... a weak little shrimpy demon. Yeah, maybe, I love. Yeah. Maybe that's why he could only kill people in planes. Yeah. Um, I love this episode in like the. the greater context of the show because demons are like one of the more common enemies Mm -hmm. i just it's just really funny to like compare and contrast um let's see are we going to general talk now because i have notes i think so yeah me too um i like how the first shot of this episode is kind of this like tropical scene but then it turns out it's the backdrop in the airport um i think it kind of that's a very good this like interesting idea of like this facade which is kind of a big thing for supernatural but also for season one specifically which i will definitely get into in season episode six but just like this idea that like what you see is not necessarily what you get which also fits with the idea of a demon possessing people so they're now who they seem um i think that was is nice like zoom out was interesting mm-hmm. it was good editing mm-hmm. um this episode was so washed out they're all yeah, so washed they're out. all so washed out but to the point where i like wrote it down i don't know what specifically uh i was talking about when i wrote that because i am allergic to context apparently (laughs) um i also noticed that at one point dean sees a hot lady and mouths wow at her as he passes her oh wow i completely missed that yeah it was just it was at the beginning um i think as they were leaving the but i'm gonna try to find this he walks past her and he mouths wow which is just it's so dean but it was so small that I'm amazed that I even noticed it. Good job. Because uh, I never no, it's not in the motel because it cuts immediately to uh, what I did write down is a very good shot of them. Uh, it's like a big wide shot with the road um, orthogonal to the camera, and it's just their tiny car driving across this massive sky, uh, which sets up the fact that they're going to be dealing with the sky in this episode. Yeah, it's a good shot. Um, I can try and find that that bit. I'm also looking for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Let's see if we can find it here. In their Let's early see. scene where it's just, uh, Sam is still having nightmares and Dean is kind of worried about him and he's like checking in, um, Dean says that he's not concerned. He, you know, he's like checking in. He's like, I'm not concerned. It's your job to keep me alive. So, like, I need you to be on top of things, which um, I think also fits into the idea of the facade I just brought up where Dean, like, clearly he yeah. is mm-hmm. concerned about his brother, but he knows that Sam is going to kind of pull back from that. So he's like, framing it around himself in a way that Sam might be more accepting of. Um, even though, like, both of them clearly know that's not true, but that's what he has to say. Yeah, also, it's, you know, the toxic masculinity thing of, like, I can't be vulnerable emotionally to you, so I have to make it about myself and about the murder job we do. Also, I think it's interesting he tells Sam it's your job to keep me alive when it's clearly Dean's job to keep Sam alive for all of their lives. This is Mm -hmm. one of the early instances of Dean saying something about Sam that's actually true about himself, which, again, is going to come up a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dean theses. Were you going to say uh, something? Yeah. Yeah, I found it. It's uh, when they go, it's when Dean uh, forges them their homeland security. Uh, I'm going to gift this because, yeah, it's very funny. While we're on the topic of their fake homeland security IDs, uh, Sam mentions that's pretty illegal even for us, which I think is another example Uh of Sam being kind of, you know, 
cop apologist where he's like, but the federal government is kind of out of bounds for us to fake things about, you know? Which is absolutely hilarious. Especially because they immediately pull their well, guns. Well, they pretended to be FBI agents earlier. I, it was interesting to me that they're like, this is a new thing for us. Because, yeah, this is like 2005. Homeland Security is like, what, like four years old? Yeah. That's another thing I wanted to talk about, I think, is, like, a big image in this episode, or, like, at least, like, an important context is 9-11. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Like, even just the fact that it's in a plane, and, like, part of it takes place in an airport, like, they can't take guns onto the plane. Yeah. I I don't think you could take guns onto the plane pre-9-11, but, like, the... Just the the context, and granted, I was born in 1999, uh, I have been on one plane in my whole life, uh, and it was in 2017. So, like, I have no idea what it was like before uh, 9-11, but um, I do know that it changed, like, the way Mm -hmm. airports handle security and the way Americans view um, plane travel and also, obviously... Um, other countries, especially primary, primarily Muslim countries, um, et cetera, et cetera. And also was a huge excuse for an increase in um, state surveillance of its citizens. Yeah, on that note, I think, I mean, obviously um, the premise of this episode is that there's a secret threat on a plane, which thank you for bringing up this context. That is hugely important. It aired only four years afterwards. Um I also think it's interesting that despite this context, Sam and Dean kind of just get on a plane with no, like, TSA hassle or anything. They just, we don't see them take off their shoes. We don't see them. Nobody gives them a problem about not having luggage. They're able to get tickets immediately, apparently. They just get on the plane because they want to go on the plane. Yes. That was one of the things I was going to say is, yeah, it's... They they just hand wave the fact that the plane's leaving in forty in thirty minutes forty minutes and the boys are just able to get on it. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was gonna say is that apparently this episode has a deleted scene where they pull up to the airport and have all their weapons in the trunk and like you said like yeah Dean wants to take weapons to deal with this demon and Sam's like we're at airport man. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was that was just something that i wrote down that i think it's important to talk about like the the influence of 9-11 which we kind of covered i mean it's definitely subtextual but uh yeah the context uh especially given how like american supernatural is uh you can't like you can't talk about the early 2000s without talking about uh the quote quote war on terror um and the invasion of iraq and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um i think this is one of the episodes that has no characters of color at all um, we've been keeping a, a yeah. little bit of a running tally. Yeah, I don't think so. But this one has none, which is probably oh, a good there's thing. There's some extras in on context. the plane, but those Just... don't count as characters. No. Oh yeah, God! Imagine if one of these characters was was a Muslim. That would have been that would have been yikes. Mm-hmm. But we save all the topics yeah. of racism for later in the season. God, mm-hmm. God! Oh, I can't wait. God. Uh, what else? Do we Truly, have? the most episode. Oh, you mentioned how he uses his suit to... Dean uses the suit to kind of on the run from the feds. I think that's a great little character note uh, along the lines of his little Walkman EMF where he's um, innovative, he's resourceful, he's using what he has in order to perform his duties. Um, And I think it's great that, like, specifically the suit that he doesn't want, he uses to his advantage. Yeah, he doesn't care about the fact that this is a like expensive item or whatever. He's like, it's purely utilitarian to him. Mm-hmm. The only notes I have left now are about the Christianity in this episode. Uh, the demon 
is is in Nazareth, which I think Dean points out the irony there, which is purely a Christian thing. Nazareth does not hold significance to other religions. It is only ironic if you subscribe to, like, Christian ideas of holiness or whatever in this uh, place or the name of the place. Um, We mentioned the biblical numerology and how that's warped. Uh, we mentioned Christo and how that's literally just not the word. Christo is from, is, you know, the same word as Christ. It's, um, I believe it means anointed. So like Jesus Christ is like Jesus, the anointed, anointed as the Messiah. It does not mean God. It is like literally just not what the word means. Um, they could have easily used a different word. I think it's interesting, like the correct word. I think it's interesting that they didn't use that word. Um, why you shouted it's out my my head cannon? <laughs> I think uh-huh. it, it would be very funny if it was just John taught them the wrong word. Demons, the demon does react when they say Christo, but I think it's just like much funnier to imagine that it's just kind of confused or annoyed by the fact that they just like yelled about Jesus to his face. Because why would anybody do that? And that's that's not even the word, the name of God. It's just the word anointed. Like, this demon's just like, why are you talking about Jesus to me? Um, I think it's very funny if other hunters don't um, believe this that will work. They never use it again. I think it's a much more interesting take to say that, like, a different hunter was like, why why are you telling me about Christo? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but that is not supported by the show. It's just, I think it was funny. Mm-hmm. Also, a, pe- a piece of demon lore that I think does not get carried on in the show. Sorry, this is kind of circling back, but demons put off EMF in this episode? Uh, yeah, which I don't think is continued. Demons are identified. Demons are identified specifically by the sulfur residue they leave on windowsills and things like that. Like that's how you know it's a demon. Um, which they do still do, but yeah, it's like when that happened, I was like, oh, I guess EMF just works on supernatural things in general. I thought it was a ghost thing specifically. Yeah, it, I don't think it's carried on throughout the show. Um, used to to find demon activities. I just think it's so funny. Oh, small thing also, looking at the transcript, in the deleted scene uh, when Dean isn't allowed to take any of his weapons into the plane, he says, I feel naked, which is good. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the guy who sleeps with a knife under his pillow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they do, so they did actually kind of set that up, it's just they deleted the scene that it called back to. Yeah. Comments about rip- Dean's ripped jeans. Uh, I love them, they are very gender. Mm-hmm. Um, when the the plane was like plummeting, uh, there was a lot of like paper everywhere, and I was like, "Where is all of this coming from?" <laughs> this poor businessman Who's... flipped his suitcase. Yeah, seriously. Um, I also thought that like the bit with where Jerry is talking to them about John and how proud John was of Sam for going to college and stuff. Yeah, like, that was so interesting. Um, and it's also kind of the first like, explicit look we get at the Sam favoritism, um, which becomes really big in, like, Dean's character, um, and is also, like, really funny given some of John's actions later on that I'm not gonna talk about right now. Well, yeah, but... I mean, he hmm. disowned him, right? Yeah. Or, like, yep. refused to talk to he him. He told talk, him not to like... come home, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, I guess, kind of ties into a thing I was wondering about, is where did... It, it doesn't seem like the Winchester family ever had that much money, especially after their house burned down. Where did Sam get the money to go to college? It's on scholarship. Credit card scams. 
I don't think he's on okay. credit card scams right. in college because he's kind of surprised when, or not surprised, but he comments on it when he sees that Dean is still doing it. You know, he mentions Ewan's ad still That's running credit true, yeah. card schemes, so I don't think he's doing it. Um, I just assumed he was on scholarship, but I don't know. Yeah. That's fair. Well, because he was also talking about how exciting it was to possibly get a full ride, so that I think that tracks. Right. True, true. Did we ever get any implication that Sam had, like, a part-time job while he was in college? Or I don't think so. I don't no. think so. Like, he could have, but... He definitely could have. He could have been, like, textual. a bartender on the side, but I don't think he was. Mm-hmm. Jess was the breadwinner. <laughs> Girl boss. Girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's pretty much... Yeah, that's, um, that's the end of my Jared notes. actually acted in this episode. Dean pretending <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have trauma. I don't know what that's specifically about, but it sure is a thing. Uh... Um, one one specific thing um, the the dean attempted to comfort Sam and failing he specifically said Sam these things they read minds they lie all right that's all it was which again I feel like is Dean continuing to be a horrible liar especially because of the kind of demonic way in which Jessica died yeah well he makes perfect sense that the demon knows what happened to her oh I also yeah th- think it's interesting that demons are kind of established as not really having motive they they want chaos or something like that's the line they don't have a reason to kill they just want to to kill people um which is i think the first time that we have a monster that doesn't have a reason like the first few we had ghosts that had a yeah. you know, pretty good cause for revenge or um misplaced revenge but the demon doesn't have that it's just a monster because it's a monster which i think is the first instance and a kind of repeating thing where we just get like this dehumanization of monsters which sounds funny, but the ghosts used to be people. A demon, as far as we know at this point in the show, is just something that wants to kill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, again, the thing, them talking about yokai as their like thing for this, the, the pestilence uh, spirits have reasons for why they like infect people, and the onamazu just is a big animal that moves around. Neither of those are creatures that cause chaos for chaos's sake. Yeah, it's very, very weird. The comparison between um, Japanese uh, yokai, I think that's the word. So, yeah, Um, Yeah. I'm not very familiar with Japanese folklore. Um, I think is like less implying that this demon specifically is Japanese in origin, but more that uh, it's possible that demons have like quote unquote jobs, um, which gets kind of expanded upon in a different way later on, but, like, the idea that certain demons just kind of have specializations, like, they specialize in possessing children or, uh, possessing planes or, like, influencing, you know, like, temptation or things like that. Like, I think that's kind of the implication. It's but such, I, It's still such a weird pull for me, though, because it is. guess yeah. what? Guess what is perhaps one of the most famous demonic texts is the Lesser Key of Solomon, which also has that of a thing with demons being specialized. Really? That's such a weird pull to me. It is. I feel like it's their attempt at being at like covering their asses when they say every culture. Yeah, I guess. Being like, yeah. here's an example from a different culture. Yeah, and, and it's th- like, well, you just didn't getting do it, right. it completely yeah. wrong. Yeah, in this case. Yeah, in this case, Sam actually says every religion in every world culture. Every is not true religion, which. As far as I know, yeah. is the first time we we mention religion specifically by name, not just like every culture, but every religion, um, where we are like implicitly tying demons to religion, which mm-hmm. is 
maybe the first instance of religion being, you know, like, quote-unquote true within the world of the show. And, of course, this is a very specifically Christian example. Uh, He says every world culture, and I'm like, what the hell is a world culture? Yeah. Like, they're all cultures, the world Uh cultures. We all live on the same planet. (laughs) Like, did you mean, like, the major ones? Who knows? Yeah, it was it was a weird whole moment. Where he lists Christian, Native American, Hindu, and then yeah. gives a Japanese example. It's it's weird. <laughs> um, I think the only thing... It's weird every time they do this. Yes. I think the only other thing that I had thoughts about was... Well, I didn't have thoughts about it, but I wrote it down as Flight 401, which yes. I'm sure Wyatt wants to talk about. I do. Uh, so yeah, uh, for people who do not know... Uh, Flight 401 was a plane who crashed in 1972. Uh, It crashed into the Florida uh, Everglades. Uh, 101 people died. Uh, 75 people survived, I believe. And uh, there were, for a long time, like, ghost stories surrounding it. It was, I believe, the first, like, major, uh, like, fatal crash of a wide-bodied aircraft, which is a... um, which is one of the ones with, like, it has two aisles. And, uh, anyway, big plane. A lot of people died. It was very bad. Um, but there were a whole bunch of ghost stories, uh, surrounding it after it crashed of people, uh, saying that they had seen, like, the ghosts of, um, the passengers on this plane, uh, on other airplanes. Like, just ghostly people on an airplane, specifically the captain, Robert Loft, uh, just sitting on board other planes of the same types. And, uh, the story was that, uh, when the plane crashed, it had, the parts had been salvaged from it and refitted into other planes. And so specifically it was those parts that were haunted, which is a interesting, like kind of ship of Theseus thing to me. And, um, yeah, so the, the salvaging thing was real, also, is the thing. Uh, and there was, like, a big, uh, th- this was a big controversy, like, a lot of, or, not even a controversy, but a big thing in, like, public consciousness of people thinking that this, like, truly was a big haunting, uh, to the point where the airline that salvaged from the plane that crashed, um they removed, or they said that they removed all the salvaged parts to, like, appease the public. Yeah, I don't know. I just think the Flight 401 story is very cool, because it's, like, airplanes weren't new exactly, but, um, it was a really big crash, and, like, a lot of people saw it on the news, and it's always cool when, oh, well, you know, it's sad that all those people died, but it's interesting to me from a folklore standpoint, the way... Uh, big events like that sort of spiral out uh, into the public consciousness and become like ghost stories and stuff. I feel like ghost stories a lot of the time result from something that really gets its hooks into people, like that they're really frightened of and like a plane crashing and that idea of the passengers still riding planes yes. uh, like forever yes. as ghosts um, really stuck I like with that, people. Um, the boys are able to make these kind of references. So obviously from like a 
a show perspective it's so that the audience gets a sense of like a wider world or gets to recognize a reference but i like that they're familiar enough with cases that they can casually pull this kind of information um in the same way that they make pop culture references they also reference historical events but with like a supernatural twist where in this case they've canonized a like large-scale ghost story but sometimes they just um I can't think of an example at the moment, but sometimes they'll make a reference to a ghost story, to a, sorry, <laughs> to something that happened and explain it away with like a demon or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, I, a thing, a pet peeve I have about urban fantasy is when they explain every bit of like folklore supernatural sighting or like just weird thing in history with like oh yeah it was this ghost or this monster or whatever i like when they're just yeah these are things that happened and people tell stories about them but it may or may not have been an actual supernatural occurrence also interesting that it's that the flight 401 was 1972 i think which is before like even john started hunting because it was before sam was born um so, like, this is a story that must have been passed down. It's not a case that they were involved in yeah. in any way. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's some cases that, like... Well, like, on mm-hmm. something that large scale, you know, I can't imagine any hunters actually, like, managed... Maybe they, you know, got a hold of the parts and burned them to try and put the spirits at rest. Um, but I'd imagine there's a lot of, like, really large scale um, urban legends or things like that that hunters just, like... Mm-hmm. either don't bother with or can't um, because it's too complicated. So I'd imagine this is the type of story that hunters talk about around the campfire yeah. of, like, the the impossible case or something like that. Like, I'd imagine it's just as uh, historical amongst hunters as it is amongst lay people um, as far as, like, the the ghost story aspect and, like, how... I think like important contextually it is i guess if that makes sense i do like when they have kind of hints at the larger hunting community or at least hunting lore mm-hmm. um like it's possible that john found out about this case while doing research or not case but this the, these ghosts while doing research and just put it in his journal but it's also possible yeah, that a different hunter told him about it um and i i do appreciate that kind of yeah it's hint at world building uh, before we move oh, on, yes. I just have a couple actor facts yes. for you all. I did my research beforehand instead of Googling live on uh, <laughs> live during the pod. Um, so the flight attendant in this episode is played by Jamie Ray Newman, who's been in loads of stuff, uh, including Stargate, The Magicians, The Punisher, and Veronica Mars. Uh, she has a particularly big role in The Punisher. I thought I recognized her. Uh, that show's fine. But the more the more fun thing is the guy who played Chuck, the pilot, was, for a long time, the president of Canadian Virtual Airlines, which is a thing where people roleplay as pilots in flight sim games. And that's just delightful to me, that this guy was like, oh yes, here we go, it's my time, I can play a pilot. This is why I like looking up actor facts, sometimes you just <laughs> learn something absolutely wild. Yes, it's very good. Uh, but yeah, do we want to take a break here, and uh, then move on to Bloody Mary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so 
episode five, Bloody Mary. Um, our cold open begins with a kid's sleepover. Uh, they're playing truth or dare. Um, and one of the kids dares another to go into the bathroom and say Bloody Mary three times in a mirror. Uh, she does, but nothing happens. Her friends, like, pound on the door and jump scare her. This got me. This is yeah. the only time where a jump scare in the show has legit got me. Yeah, same. It was really good. Um, but her dad is like, hey, could you guys keep it down? Um, and then he goes to the bathroom to take some medication. Um, as he's, like, walking up the stairs. This guy has a lot of mirrors in his house. Uh-huh. Um, but we see Mary, like, stalking him through the mirrors, and I think it's very good. Um, I really like that motif. Um, I have thoughts on this, but I'll talk about it later. I yeah. want to know why they have so many mirrors in their house, but I'll allow it. Seriously. Um, oh, I also have a story to tell later. Remind me about this, because I'll probably forget okay um so mary kills him um the older sister comes home and has a little bit of banter with her younger sister which is very cute and then she heads upstairs and finds the huge puddle of blood and discovers the body um dean and sam so we cut to demon sam having just arrived in toledo ohio where this episode takes place um they hear about it from the obituary uh and go to check it out they head to the morgue to see the body, um, and we discover that this guy's eyes have, like, completely liquefied. Um, it's rough. It's bad. It looks... Mm-hmm. I... It's... Yeah. Yeah, it was gross. I mean, so it's it's bad in that it's good. Like, the, the effect mm-hmm. is good. Supernatural and Freak removing people's eyeballs. Uh-huh. Um... And it's also funny, because the, the, the eye bleeding later looks terrible. Oh, yeah. Uh... The doctors have ruled it as, like, a stroke, some freak, crazy brain aneurysm, um, but, of course, Dean and Sam are like, it's never a freak medical thing. Um, they go to talk to the daughters who are having a wake for their dad, um, and then they go up to the bathroom where he died to investigate. Uh, Charlie, who's one of the older sister's friends, uh, shows up and wants to know what the fuck they're doing. So they kind of explain at least a little bit of, like, something weird is going on. We're just, like, looking into it. And then, so that night, the other, their other friend uh, is on the phone with Charlie and summons Mary as a joke. uh, And she dies as well. Charlie calls Sam and Dean uh, because she's freaked out. And they go to investigate the dead girl's room. They find out that Mary is writing names on the back of the mirrors. uh, The names of people who are dead. It's not only that she dies as well, it's, like, herself talking to her in the mirror. Yes. And the way she's just, the way the mirror self is just staring at her Mm -hmm. was really freaky. Great atmosphere this episode. Yes, it's very very good. good effect. Good God, when the bad TV hits. Yeah. Uh, This is where we find out how Mary is choosing her victims, uh, people who were involved with other people's deaths. Uh, Dean and Sam, we call them accidents. Um, I'm not so sure. That yeah, it's purely I don't know, especially accidents. the sleeping pill thing. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm like, hmm. So now the boys have to find out how to get rid of Mary, but the problem is they have to find the quote-unquote true version of Mary's story. Um, because she's such a huge urban legend, um, folk story, they don't know if the story where she's a witch or the story where she's, you know, um, a girl who... I can't remember the other... Now that I'm talking about it, I can't remember I'll the ta- other. I'll talk about yeah. this. Don't worry about it. Um, the only thing they know for sure is that she died in front of a mirror. So they investigate. They find out that Mary was a starlet who was murdered and tried to write out the name of her killer on a mirror in her own blood. Um, meanwhile, Charlie uh, gets Mary sicked after her because um, the older sister 
gets upset and and does it um and charlie has been involved in another person's death now there's a life on the line uh for stopping mary dean sand track the mirror she died next to to a mirror store in toledo uh, their plan is for Sam, who is involved with Jess's death, to summon Mary to her mirror so that they can smash it, hopefully trapping her there. Um, it's during this scene we find out that Sam had a premonition about Jess's death and didn't warn her, which is part of why it's eating him up so much and why he blames himself. Um, Dean ends Mary by trapping her with her own reflection, uh, and the episode ends with Sam refusing to tell Dean about his vision. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> minor correction i guess as they're driving off into the sunset as they always do at the end of an episode sam kind of hallucinates it's like left vague he he sees jess as they're driving and then she's gone as they pass a pole which i think was really like spooky yes yeah and it's interesting that she's in that nightgown which as we uh discussed uh, for episode one is not the kind of pajamas that she wears Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's really Thank you for pointing that out, because um, he misses this kind of idealized version of her, this very specific version mm-hmm. of her. Yeah, which she's is very, like, pure and in white mm-hmm. and stuff. Very much uh, paralleling John and Mary, which we'll get into as we learn more about their relationship, but um, this kind of propping up the dead uh, love interest as this very particular image. And so he mm-hmm. sees her in her you know, nightgown with her hair down and not, like, in her everyday clothes. He's haunted specifically by this image of her. Small small thing I just want to mention that's funny and slightly weird to me, but I guess they're very common names, is uh, my grandpa's name was John and my grandma's name is Mary. Oh, it's <laughs> must be very weird for you. Eh, it's, it's not that weird, but it is kind of funny. Um, so this episode is the first hint we get of Sam being unusual sam having this yeah. weird psychic uh-huh. vision which is um really going to be important obviously but also i think the fact that he blames himself is a uh, more of a character note than like something reasonable because if he's having nightmares that yeah. his girlfriend is dying like his mother did that's like a reasonable thing to do his life is fucked up excuse me and um and when he knows how his mother died so the the kind of transposing jess into that situation is not something unreasonable for his subconscious to do it's only after yeah, it's it happens guilt. that it becomes something you know supernatural and not just his own brain so the fact that he didn't warn her yeah. is not something reasonable to expect him to have done but for him obviously the guilt is eating him up Mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about this when we get to talking about Bloody Mary and how the ghost works in this episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which, you know, I guess we could just do. So, I like this episode. Uh, I like ghosts, apparently. This this is the thing I guess I kind of knew about myself, that all my favorite episodes of this so far have been (laughs) ghost-related. Actually, I guess except for the first one, which, I don't know, the ghost in that was fine, but... This one and uh, uh, Dead in the Water, really liked. Um... It's interesting to me that it appears that ghosts have, like, specific rules that even they themselves can't get around. The fact that they beat Bloody Mary by showing her herself in the mirror is a fascinating way to have defeated her. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought that was really interesting, and it made me think, like, is this... Is it less that Bloody Mary is, like, actively pursuing these people and she's more manifested by their own guilt? Because she didn't... She died... Her own, like, supernatural force is the thing that killed her. Yes. And I don't know whether she felt guilty, but it did 
do the thing of like you killed all those people like she says to herself in the mirror and so and they also talk about how earlier in the episode that like the mirror is a can reflect the soul or whatever oh i have that line written down it's that mirrors uh reveal all your lies your secrets that they're a true Mm -hmm. reflection of your soul which i was going to talk about and i will still continue to do but after you yeah so it's almost less that like this is a thing that she's actively pursuing and more that she's like um uh, almost like the Furies in like Greek mythology or something, where it's it's a force that compels her. Uh, I think that's right for the Furies anyway. I'm just going off of my own uh, vague knowledge, but but yeah, that and that's why it works on. Uh, that's why it works on Dean. That's why I'm uh, sorry, Sam. That's why it works on Sam. That's why it works on Charlie. Is it's not. It's not that they caused the deaths of these people and then the ghost is, like, getting vengeance on them for those people. It's that they manifest the ghost themselves via their own guilt over the thing that happened, mm-hmm. which is is interesting. Yeah, and I think it's especially interesting given that Mary was murdered. Like, yeah. it wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. It was premeditated. It was violent. Um, uh I guess for people who didn't watch the episode, um, this what they believe happened, the detective who was investigating her death, what he believed was that a surgeon in town um, attacked her and surgically removed her eyes, which is why she um, continues to replicate that violence and that she tried to write his name mm-hmm. in the mirror, hence trapping her in the mirror. Um, I think the eyes imagery is also very important because people say the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of. Uh, reflecting the mirrors is that also um, I think it all like plays very important um, but I think it's really interesting that with the exception of the husband everyone who uh, was targeted by Mary like there's no reason to believe that it was anything other than an accident or some bad circumstances I think there's definitely reason to believe that the dad uh, purposely overdosed his wife um, or at least there's that gray area where we can believe that. Um, but the fact that Mary doesn't go after murderers, she just goes after people who happen to be involved, um, who, you know, quote-unquote didn't do enough, or um, did something wrong that led to somebody's death, or etc. But I think that definitely lends to the idea that Mary is more focused on, she's manifested by guilt, uh, rather than her own... Mm-hmm. Um, like where Peter was more of an active participant, he chose his victims because of their connection to his death. I think Mary um, is more of a passive force, uh, like you said, that is yeah. commanded by uh, her own like nature as a ghost. Until herself, which I also yeah, think is interesting because she definitely yeah. has been killing people, not accidentally. So if that's yes. the case, then the fact that she's actually killed an active murderer would kind of wrap back to her own death and maybe that's what breaks it or like being forced to confront her own reflection and like the reality of what she's doing um breaks that kind of like passive uh helplessness i don't necessarily want to say helplessness because that seems kind of to be excusing what she does but um Mm -hmm. like it makes her realize that she has been doing these things, and then that all of a sudden, like, snowballs the guilt, which is why it affects her. I don't know. I think there's a lot of different, like, ways we could interpret, like, why this mirror trick worked. Um, on the subject of mirrors, I'm going to be talking about mirrors throughout this podcast, because 
as like a shorthand uh-huh. for saying like narrative parallel. Um, so I think it's really interesting that this was brought up so explicitly in season five, in season one, um, where like okay, so Charlie is the Sam mirror for this episode because she feels guilty that her boyfriend died and she could have done more to stop it, and Sam is feeling guilty that his girlfriend died and he could have done more to stop it, and neither of them are right to feel guilty. So when the boys are comforting Charlie, they're actually trying to comfort Sam, which is because the boys are the main characters, so the plot is always relevant to their emotional turmoil, but. Um, this idea of side characters acting as mirrors, um, or how I said that Sam is paralleling John, so Sam is a John mirror in this episode. Um, and I think it's really interesting that they make explicit that mirrors kind of reveal the truth about you, uh, which is going to be super interesting next episode. But I really mm-hmm. love that they come uh-huh. one after the other. But this idea of parallels as drawing out more about the self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Like you said, this is such a huge thing in this show. Um, even when it's not intentional, there's so many characters yeah. that are like foils, mirrors, straight up copies of other characters. Yeah, a lot of the show is about kind of cycles, which is mm-hmm. why there's like this repetitive uh, format for these episodes. Or not why, but uh, assisted by, maybe? This, mm-hmm. The fact that like they always start out, you know, hey, here's a case. Do you want to talk about your feelings? Let's go shoot a monster. Do you want to talk about your feelings? Drive off into the sunset. So yeah. this, this kind of, they're stuck in this loop of echoing themselves and other people and other people echoing back at them and uh, reflecting back at them. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I found really interesting about this episode that does get, uh, it gets brought up again in another episode um hell house which i don't remember what number that is but um the idea of like how how the the reality of the ghost stories um or their the monster stories or whatever is interacting with um the culture like in real time yes uh interesting it's 117 thank you yeah i was going to say also because that reminds me the same thing there's a line at the beginning where the the little girls are discussing the mary legend and one of them says it doesn't matter who she is um which i thought was really fascinating Mm -hmm. this kind of multiplicity of the legend is Mm -hmm. kind of irrelevant to the fact that there is a legend there is a character it doesn't matter who she was or what the truth is this is what the story is yeah um and also that like if this were any other ghost just a regular run-of-the-mill ghost uh who you know died violently and it was just like a thing they could easily the the go-to solution is to salt and burn the bones um but because mary mm-hmm. her story uh is more uh complicated than that they have to actually like track down the truth behind the legend and that like influences the way they have to deal with her um and i think it's kind of a more complex version of like oh this person doesn't have a body to burn they are attached to an object um but i think using like the urban legend lens here is really good and it's something that season one does a lot it addresses a lot of like urban legend um um, good old american horror things like that Uh um yeah i wish they expanded on it more (laughs) i'm 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 so sad because that's one of the things I've been enjoying the most about this show. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, I think this is a good segue into me talking about Bloody Mary. Yes. Uh, because you just made me have a headcanon, which I know isn't true, but makes me like Bloody Mary, Mar- Bloody Mary more in this episode. Um, so, okay. Like 
you said the girls are like, here are the various the reasons why Bloody Mary could exist, but it doesn't matter. Uh, also, in that, in that, there's like a girl who, when she learns about Bloody Mary, is like, why would anyone ever say that? And that is the smartest character we've seen in the show yeah. so far, I think. Final girl in the making. She would never get into a ghost's car yeah. on the yeah, highway. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so this reason, this show's reason for Bloody Mary is weird to me. It, it, it's Mary Worthington, a woman who was killed in Indiana. Apparently soon enough for this cop to have worked the case, by the way. Hey, another black cop. Yeah. Um, like, Somebody second, I believe, second black character who has a speaking role, and both of them have been cops. I believe that's true. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, this, this has to have been recent. Mm-hmm. That guy wasn't that old. Like, maybe this was a case he did right when he was young, but that would have to have been, like, at minimum... Like, 30 years ago would be, I think, the maximum length for that taking place. And Bloody Mary, as a myth, has been around for a while. Um, Unfortunately, I I did some... some, (laughs) Used my university login to do some looking into this. Unfortunately, I couldn't find too much that I had access to. Uh, there was one, like, Freudian psychoanalysis thing by this dude, and I was like, I'm not really interested in what you have to say. I don't care about Freud. Mood. Um, exactly. But, but yeah, from based on what I could find, uh, the story started uh, probably based off of uh, Bloody Mary, the uh, queen, who was killed, um, because it was... I'm fairly sure dates back to the, like, Victorian interest and obsession with ghosts. Mm -hmm. And originally it was a divination ritual where uh, young women walked up a flight of stairs backwards holding a candle and a hand mirror with all the lights off, and they were supposed to be able to see their future husband's face, um, was what what, what Bloody Mary would show them in the mirror. Uh, But there was a chance they would see a skull instead, uh, which indicated that they were going to die uh, before they would have a chance to marry. So right at the beginning, and that's also, I wonder if it's Bloody Mary, like Mary, marriage, Mary, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything there, but it's interesting to me that it started out as a marriage thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where it started. Uh, my fun brief aside uh, about mirrors and stairs and that house is once I stayed in the world's most haunted Airbnb, which had an extremely narrow, uh, steep staircase that was lined with mirrors on both sides all the way up that led to the bedroom I was staying in. Oh, that's horrifying. <laughs> it's the most horrifying staircase I've ever walked up. So I was just thinking about that while watching this episode and like imagining a ghost following me in those mirrors. See, this is why I'm afraid of uh, mirrors. Yeah, no, uh, it's true. Yeah, also, the, the Wikipedia article has a image of this uh, divination ritual. Apparently, this is from a Halloween greeting card in the early 20th century. So, I don't know, maybe it's not Victorian. Like I said, I had a hard time finding a specific start uh, for when this happened uh, or when this started coming around. There's a surprisingly small amount of information for its actual history. Uh, but it does, it is fairly widespread. Um, because yeah, there's there's Bloody Mary, uh, the Queen in Britain, uh, and then in America, uh, there's Mary Worth, which is where they got Mary Worthington from. And Mary Worth was apparently a uh, witch during the Salem witch trials. Uh, like again, this ghost story echoes both a 
like British thing that spread out to the popular culture and then an American thing that spread out into the popular culture in both countries. Again, like I said earlier, like I like the way ghost stories uh, emerge in that way, especially famous ghosts. So yeah, Mary Worth, uh, she didn't exist. There's no, there's a lot of Marys on the list of people killed in the Salem witch trials, but no one named Mary Worth. Um, there's another story about how she was like a, um, a person who turned in slaves is the thing I found of like someone who did a reverse underground railroad and would snitch on escaped slaves and get money for bringing them in. Uh, so again, that ties into the public consciousness of like, the history of America. Another thing is, it's three times in the modern legend, but I think originally it was 13 times uh, because of the specific, that, that specific number. Uh, sometimes she was friendly and would tell you the future in different ways, but also other times she would uh, curse you or strangle you or pull, your, pull you into the mirror or drink your blood. Uh, scratching out their eyes is one of the things, but it's interesting to me with that thing you said earlier that they chose eyes specifically for this episode. Mm. Um, it, it fits. I like yes. that they did that. Yes. Um, and on that note, there's this one shot towards the end of the episode where, um, I didn't write down when it was, but there's a shot with Sam where he's, like, lit without his eyes. His eyes are, like, completely in shadow. Yeah. Which I thought was a really good shot, especially because, uh, shot he's been having these shot. visions... Um, and this, mm -hmm. this like idea of vision and sight and Sam was, was mm -hmm. very cool. Final thing I was going to say uh, about like the headcanon that I've gotten, uh, and again to talk about wider urban fantasy stuff for a second, uh, there's a thing I really like in Kieran Gillen's comic Once in Future which if people like Supernatural they should go read because it, it has a good himbo in it. <laughs> um, but uh, it does a very interesting thing where there are folkloric archetypes which actual people can sort of align themselves to and become closer to that archetype and it like gives them powers or abilities or makes them more like that person, etc. And the thing that I think squares Bloody Mary for this in this episode for me as a person who, like this happened fairly recently and the legend has definitely been around longer than this character died, is when she died, what if Bloody Mary was a thing that kind of existed but that she became rather mm -hmm. than rather than it starting with her of like maybe the actual maybe there hadn't been an actual ghost of Bloody Mary before that like, it was just a story before she was killed and, like, aligned properly to the myth. But I like the idea of, like, she dies, and part of what gives her this power as a ghost is she's able to become this story and be more than just, like, a regular ghost like we saw in episode three. That's probably not how Supernatural's, like, metaphysics work, but I like it as an explanation anyway. I think it makes sense. I think it kind of lends itself to the idea that maybe Bloody Mary is a category of haunting the same as a yeah. woman in white where this is mm -hmm. a ghost she is a woman named mary she died in front of a mirror she became a bloody mary um it can't happen that frequently which is maybe why there's only been one but um this idea that the legend has been around before this particular ghost um definitely kind of fits into that um in we'll get to mm -hmm. this next week but in one seven there's uh every legend has a source type of thing uh, which comes up a lot in their monster of the week episodes later uh where they're like well the story had to start somewhere as they find the real version of whatever the urban legend is uh but they don't say that in this episode mm -hmm. so she can't be the source because it was around before her mm -hmm. 
there's a there's also another small thing which is a I'm surprised the show didn't do this because it loves doing universalism so much. <laughs> Uh, but the story of Bloody Mary, like, just speaking of, like, archetypes and stuff, is somewhat similar to the Japanese ghost, Hanako, uh, who you could summon by knocking on a toilet stall three times and saying, Hanako, are you there? Uh, so we have the three again, and we have, like, this ghost of a girl who died violently. That's the other thing. All the Bloody Marys, uh, died violently, which, with whatever source, uh, you use. Uh, I think Hanako... The story for her is she was a girl killed in an air raid when she was hiding in a school toilet. Uh, so again, you have the thing where this ghost comes from a like big historical event. Mm -hmm. which, again, I think it's cool. Uh, just a small aside, I'm surprised the show didn't bring this up, and also I wanted to talk about Hanako briefly, because I, I think it's... I also... Continue to think ghosts are cool. I also noticed um, you, you talking about Hanako brought this up in my brain. Um, mm, when yes. Mary crawled out of the mirror, it was very grudge, which yeah, I know it was I very think grudge. Isn't grudge Korean? Um, uh, that's a. I've on. never I've never seen the movie. I've just seen a lot of references to it. The uh, Phantom but, Wiki. Well, that says it's a cultural the, uh, reference to the Ring. Yeah, uh, which is where she comes yeah, from. Yeah, the Ring and the Grudge. Like the, that the that like long. Yeah, long black hair is a very common yeah. uh, ghost archetype in Asia in general. Um, yeah. The also the uh, way she crawled like hands first out of it, just yeah. like it was yeah. so, it was so. The grudge, grudge is uh, the Grudge is Japanese. Okay. Uh, directed by Takashi uh, Shimizu. But uh, but yeah, that still applies. Yeah, it's interesting that they use that. I, I mean, like long long hair on a ghost is a common thing in a lot of uh -huh. places. But, uh, but yeah, the the effect at the end where she crawls out of the mirror is so good. It's so I loved scary. that whole. I loved that they had like this big confrontation in like an antique shop with mirrors everywhere. Oh, yeah. It was great. I'm like, guys, why didn't you bring this somewhere where there weren't other mirrors? It was. Goofy, but oh, also they're very a very very dramatic place for a and fight. Then there's the line uh, where I like, like that seven hundred the... bad years years of bad luck was cute, and also uh -huh, yeah, kind that of explains was the rest cute. of the show, doesn't it? Yeah, seriously. Uh -huh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, and also, I liked that on top of them just having to deal with this ghost, the cops also showed up, mm -hmm. uh, which is where we got an another character of color briefly referenced of Dean be as part of the joke of Dean being bad at lying. Of yeah, I'm the son of this. I'm the son of the owner. You're Mr. Uh, Yamashiro. What, Mr. Yamashiro's kid. Uh, I was adopted. Yeah, it's great. He tries. And so then Dean just fucking sucker punches. Yeah, Dean just Dean just owns them. It's great. It's really good. Wrote in all caps. Dean punches cops. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, On the note, a couple of small things. Oh? oh, you go. On yeah. the note of Dean and lying, I like how when he's interviewing, um, the Mr. Shoemaker's kids and he's talking to Lily he appeals to her within the logic of this, the myth and doesn't just dismiss it or lie to her he doesn't say Bloody Mary's not real he says um, I don't yeah. have the quote up but he says something like it can't have been Bloody Mary because it wasn't him who said it like he's he's treat again Dean being good with kids he's appealing to mm -hmm. her within mm -hmm. the story he's not dismissing her feelings or uh, beliefs he's uh, kind of meeting her at her level Mm -hmm. The uh, the final thing I just wanted to say about that antique uh, scene is uh, we had Dean being the one to save Sam again, just constantly calling back to that. Mm -hmm. 
kind of on the similar thread of the brothers, uh, when Sam, when Dean tries to get Sam to tell him his secret, uh, mm. Mm-hmm. Sam says, you're my brother and I would die for you, rather than, like, you're my brother and I love you. Um, which, I don't know if Sam and Dean ever tell each other that they love each other uh, in the show, like, in those exact words. Um, but I feel like that's just such a, a thing with them, is, like... Dying for each warping other? Warping their... Well, <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> but also, like, warping their, their <coughs> love and their... Um, connection and how fucked up they both are towards each other and warping mm-hmm. that through a lens of violence yeah i yeah. mean this is a thing we talked about the previous episode too is like their main verb is violence mm-hmm. like they're they they like well they they have fought each other multiple times they'd smack each other he says i would die for you rather than i love you it's like that's what they've been taught of like a way to interact with the world mm-hmm. or like their primary way because of being raised as monster hunters mm-hmm it's also kind of transactional, like, as an offering. I would do yeah, something for you rather than just, is. I love you. Yeah. Um, which I think will be, I think is something that we should definitely track as the, the show continues. Because um, I'm thinking of other, like, unsaid I love yous. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when Dean says, I'd rather have you cursed or not to cast. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, other things like that. Uh yeah, and these guys are the, not like, good at saying I love you, but they say it a lot of the time in other ways. Uh-huh. That are, like, yeah, not and then like the way they interact veiled, with, but they're allergic to saying it. Yes, uh, and then like the way they interact with Jack, the way Dean interacts with other uh, son figures, like how that emotional growth kind of wheedles its way into into them um, as they become like more of a family and less of like can't remember the word, but like less of like you know brothers like butting heads and more of like family looking out for each other um as they kind of like get over that that toxic masculinity if it happens Mm -hmm. i don't remember (laughs) it's an arc that might never reach the ending yeah oh one final thing actually Uh, i said no i already said that but about the antique scene uh, and you talking about eyes and windows and mirrors, etc. I like that she's doing the creepy ghost thing of like holding her head to one side and hiding her face with her hair. Mm-hmm. But when she sees herself in the mirror, her head slowly straightens and her hair falls away from her face, yes. and we see her eyes. Oh, it's really good. Uh, and like suddenly, she is more humanized in this moment. Mm-hmm. That uh, was just before she's exercised uh, or whatever. I guess that was I don't know before she was hoisted by her Dispelled. own petard. <laughs> Uh, and it was very good. Well, and also in the in the photo of her uh, at the murder scene, her face is on the floor. You can't see her face there either. Mm, yeah. Um, it's very, very good. Very good and interesting. Um, did I have Speaking anything? of presentation um, and, like, appearance, while they have their little night vision camera and Sam is looking at Dean through the camera, Dean says, do I look like Paris Hilton? Which is... Um, a mm-hmm. lot to unpack, so let's start there. Uh, first of all, yes. it is a, another pop culture reference. He's talking about her sex tape. Um, he's also explicitly comparing himself to, like, a hyper-feminine pop culture phenomenon, um, which is very gender of him. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. is it, aware is it in of this episode or the Dean... next episode? Sorry, is it in this episode or the next episode where uh, Dean... Oh, it's next episode. We will get uh, Where <laughs> Sam is like, yeah... 
there's another gender thing it's early in next episode oh yeah it's right at the start we'll definitely talk about that and we'll talk about it again in season five dean um, and gender uh-huh. dean and gender indeed um so i wanted to talk about how dean is like made consciously sorry explicitly conscious of um the fact that he's on camera right he's aware of being observed which is very interesting as dean as like this kind of compilation of performances where we mm-hmm. see glimpses of what Dean is like when he's just being himself. He's got, like, his little Walkman EMF. He watches... Uh, was it this episode he talks about the Vulcan mind melds? Sorry, it's ne- next, next episode. episode. Also, yeah, right. But he's a nerd. And he, like, he has personality, but he also has this level of performance to everything he's doing, which, in some ways, again, back to this doyless Watsonian divide, some of it is because the writers wanted these particular archetypes and they only have two characters to work with and they're having Sam as uh, the straight guy in every way and um, you know (laughs) Sam is the nerd who does all the the book research and thinks that he should should be eating health food and Dean is both the action hero with his you know big guns and red meat but also the pop culture nerd who watches Star Trek but also the comic relief but also the elder child who had to take care of his brother and he's just all these different levels of characters that don't fully meld to each other in one person naturally so the only explanation in universe for how all of these different people exist within dean and this is what we were saying before we went on call the the explanation for how all these people exist within dean is that dean himself must be aware to some extent whether he's conscious of it or not he has to know that he is performing or he has to at least be performing whether he knows it or not so the fact that he's on camera and looks back at the camera and makes a comment about it uh is really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. all this because of a paris hilton joke <laughs> yeah well that's the thing is like uh, I guess we haven't ever talked about this explicitly, but it's likely that most of the time when we c- catch on to something like this in the show, if it probably wasn't the intent of the authors, but that also doesn't matter. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, let's, let's make that clear right up front. When, when we're talking about all the deep like, implications, we know that this was not like, oh, wow, yeah. the writers wanted Dean to be this complicated person with, like, gender troubles and, like deeply closeted for various reasons like we know that is almost certainly not what they meant for most of the time certain writers later on are doing it on purpose certain writers are doing it as a joke certain writers have no idea that they did it and certain writers hated that other writers were doing these things it's Mm -hmm. a big tangles web that i'm looking forward to getting into (laughs) yeah yeah we know it's not that deep but like imagine if it was yeah yeah (laughs) Part of what I was wondering if we should start tracking which writers wrote which episodes it might be a fun thing oh, to do, yes, like to comment on that sort of thing. That I but... was going to point them out when it's writers that I've uh, specifically mm. noticed. This one was written by Kripke and a couple of other people. Uh, the previous episode was written by um, Richard Haydom, which is not a name I recognize. Mm. This definitely feels like a Kripke episode. Hmm. It's very much I don't know exactly the, what that means, but like, <laughs> yeah, the vibe. Yeah, it's just very like stock urban fantasy monster of the week. Yes, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, oh, I also wanted to call attention to the fact that um, Sam kind of bribes the guy to let them in, in to examine. Yes. Yeah, and Dean is like, I earned that money, and Sam's like, at poker, and Dean says, Yeah, like that is his money. He earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, briefly, uh, the, the, the name 
of the person who the like were his students is uh, Doctor Fiklowitz, I believe. Uh, and Dean says Figlovich, I'm pretty sure. Uh, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Dean just continuing to be bad at lying. Dean just continuing to being a dumbass. Um, anything else? Uh, a uh, couple small things. Um, actually, it might just be one because that was the other thing I was talking about. Uh, just like I really liked the uh, after the cold open, the opening shot of this episode with them framed against the hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. It's this big wide shot, uh, and the car is directly in front of this like big like neoclassical uh, columned hospital, and it really gives the vibe of like the sort of on-the-road life that these boys have compared to, like, this big, like, statement of civilization, I guess, is is generally what neoclassical architecture is supposed to imply. Mm. Uh, and also this, like, kind of... I guess it's not new, but in historical comparison, this, like, fancy, cool car in comparison to this old style of architecture. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what they were... I don't know if they were trying to say anything explicitly with this shot or if they just thought it was a cool shot, but I liked it. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, final... Final <laughs> uh, thing. I'm so- <laughs> Wait, sorry. Did you have something, Ash? No. Oh, okay. I just wanted to talk briefly about Charlie in this episode because uh-huh. you talked about how uh, she was a parallel to Sam... Uh, I thought it was interesting how, like, they both had that same guilt going on, and also, um, it does the thing where Charlie genuinely believes that, like, something's up, uh, there's that great scene where she's in class and sees the, uh, sees Bloody Mary in the window, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, and just freaks out, uh, it was very scary, I was very scared for her. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh... Like, none of her friends believe her. They're all extremely mean to her, which is wild to me, especially, um, what's her name? Uh, Donna, the sister from the start, mm-hmm. who's like, dad just died in a horrible way. And it kind of would make sense for your friend to be freaked out about that thing. Like, I guess maybe she was mad about the fact that, uh, that, like, oh, you think my dad's death was due to this stupid supernatural thing or whatever. Uh, but her other friend who had nothing to do with this, who is killed by the mirror, uh, Jill, I think her name was, uh, is also extremely, like, rude and mean to her for being scared about this. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like, especially with next episode, and, like, Sam and his friends, and, like, not being believed, or, like, being worried about not being believed, being worried about lying, the, like, idea of the supernatural being something that isolates you, uh, I felt like that was discussed well with Charlie in this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, uh, Dean, uh, I, sorry, I keep saying Dean, uh, Sam gives her, uh, advice at the end, I believe, uh, about, uh, let me pull up the transcript because I forgot to write this down specifically, uh, Bloody Mary, one second, uh, look. Yeah, he says, uh, your boyfriend's death, you really should try to forgive yourself no matter what you did. You probably couldn't have stopped it. Sometimes bad things just happen. Uh, and then Dean, again, hits Sam gently on the shoulder. Again, these boys communicating via violence, even if it's just a light little tap, uh, says that's good advice. Uh, in a way, it's like, you should listen to that yourself, buddy. And it's, again, paralleling Sam and Charlie of, like, there's some of him in her, and he can see 
the truth reflected in her again mirrors mm -hmm. uh but cannot see it in himself cannot listen to his own advice Oh, fi final thing I know noted for Donna Shoemaker. She's played by Kristen Marsden, who was Sophie in Mamma Mia, uh, in the stage production of Mamma Mia, was the youngest actor in that, apparently. Uh, which, I don't know, I, I always think it's funny. Good for her. It's like, oh, this person is in what? Uh, she's also Fra Bo in Mobile Suit Gundam in the dub for, for the original Gundam show. Yes. So on the note of mirrors... I think that's a good segue into the next episode. Uh, one six skin. I'm very excited. This is such, such a Dean thesis episode. I can feel Emma bouncing in her seat. All right, one six skin opens shot like a cop drama where there's like a woman tied to a chair. She's been kind of roughed up. Uh, there's like a SWAT team who's chasing this guy, and then it, it he turns and we see it's Dean. Cut to the title sequence. Um, then we cut to one week earlier. Sam is getting an email from his college friend Becky about her brother Zach, who's just been arrested for killing his girlfriend. Dean's kind of surprised that Sam still keeps in touch with his college friends we're going to talk about that um the boys head over dean kind of has to be convinced but they do head over they convince um rebecca to show them the crime scene by saying well sam says that dean's a cop and dean kind of gets uncomfortable with that and he says detective actually good for him um <laughs> and it turns out that zach has to have been in two places at once in order to commit this crime because he was with rebecca at the time of the murder um, they continue looking into it. They discover the neighbor's dog has been acting weird since the attack. The security tape where they have the killer, who see certainly seems to be Zach, shows that his eyes kind of flash silver on the screen. Um, and then we cut to uh, Zach, the double, watching an Asian man and his girlfriend. We find out his name is Alex, which means he is one of the few characters of color with a name in this show. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, he, uh, Alex is about to go off on a trip. He comes back home because the client canceled and his girlfriend says something, his girlfriend is tied to a chair and also roughed up. And she says something like, please don't hurt me anymore. And he turns around and gets whacked on the head by his double. Then the boys see Alex getting arrested. They do their, every culture in the world has a thing for this time for shapeshifters. Uh -huh. They mentioned skinwalkers, which came up when we were mm -hmm. talking about one, two, um, Oh, did they? I missed that. They did mention skinwalkers as an example of cultural shapeshifters. Um, then mm. they eventually figure out that this shapeshifter is using the sewers. While they're in the sewers, Rebecca calls Sam angry that he lied about Dean being a cop because now the crime scene is contaminated. And Dean says something about how, oh, you know, see, lying to your friends never pays off. The boys split up to chase the shifter when he appears, so of course one of them immediately gets replaced. It's Dean is the shifter, we see his uh -huh. eyes flash. Um, they're very good at planning these things. <laughs> Who could possibly have predicted that splitting up on a shapeshifter case would not be a good idea? They're so dumb! In fairness to them, uh, Sam immediately tests Dean when he thinks he's being suspicious. He gives him like a, didn't dad once face a shifter in this situation? And Dean corrects him, which means that he has this knowledge. So Sam passes him the keys, but he's still suspicious. And so the shifter, as Dean, attacks him and brings him to the sewers to get tied to a pole. 
Uh, he also says something about, like, you don't want to know where your brother is, which is funny, because in the next, like, five minutes it finds out, it turns right. out he's right there. He's, like, tied to the next pole over. <laughs> but everything's fine. He's just being ominous. That was so... That really, yeah. like, humanized the shifter for me of, like, oh, yeah, this guy's just bullshitting. He's just doing his best. He's doing spooky things. Um, the shifter, while he has Sam tied up and Dean missing, gives a speech that I am so excited to talk about, about how Dean resents uh-huh. Sam. He shifts into first person while he's talking about this as Dean. Uh, he starts saying I instead of he. And then he goes off to um, Rebecca's house to kind of flirt with her. And then when she turns him down, he attacks her. In the meantime, the boys have broken out of the sewer. And um, that's where we get the scene from the beginning of the episode with the SWAT team chasing Dean. But they get away. Sam distracts them because he knows that they can't hold him for some reason. I guess because he's not really involved here. And uh, Dean goes into the sewers without him while he's being detained briefly. Um, And in the sewers... He's a white guy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And Dean in the sewers finds Rebecca, which is concerning because Sam is going to Rebecca's house. And he's talking to what who seems to be Rebecca but it is obviously the shifter um he's telling her about the shifter and she says you really are crazy and hits him in the head um they have a little bit of a fight scene uh the shifter turns back into Dean and has another fight hmm. there's a fight scene he's Dean now and Dean comes in and shoots Dean shifter Mm -hmm. which again I will love to talk about um, at the end of the episode, the little wrap-up, Becky and Sam are talking, and it turns out that Zach was freed because they're blaming this Dean Winchester guy for Emily's murder, and uh, as they drive off, the boys joke about how Dean is missing his own funeral. So there's a lot in this episode that is, um, is. extremely interesting. We've, we were just talking about mirrors, and here is this guy literally turning into an exact replica of Dean to talk about Dean's issues. Um, it doesn't get less subtle than this. Uh, uh, while I'm remembering, this episode was written by John Shiban. I don't recognize the name from any other big name episodes, but he really hit it out of the park with this one. Um, so I have a lot of notes. Do either of you want to go first? Uh, I have a couple small things I want to go over before we really get into the deep shit here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the first thing is this opening scene is great. Uh, they make a really good use of mm-hmm. uh, close-up shots to uh, like raise tension. Uh, and the way the music contrasts with what's happening is, is The very soundtrack good. on this episode rocks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Especially in that one moment we will talk yes. about. Yes. There's a... Okay. Um, next is, I just want to shout out Sam's incredible oh, touch yeah. phone with his little Palm Nintendo pilot. DS It's pen. a Palm Pilot, according so to the much. transcript. It's a Palm Pilot, yeah, 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 yes. This is also where we find out that Sam's email is Lawboy, which is so cute. Oh my god, I didn't I even forgot notice. about that, yes. Yeah, it's great. It rules. Yeah, Lawboy got um, an email from Lil Sis. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's good. When they are at Becky's house, she asks them if they want any beers, and Dean makes this little noise, and it's great. Uh, I love him. Uh, they use close-ups very good at the crime scene, too, which is presumably a way to save the budget so they didn't have to, like, really make this whole crime scene, like, be accurate-looking, but I think it they still used it well. The, like, eye thing with the shapeshifter is a really good effect. The shapeshifter effects in this yeah. in general are great. I love the horrible it's skin nasty. goop. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about that scene where he rips his skin off, but, uh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> I, it's a bit where Becky says, what do you think this is, a Hooters? And Dean quietly says, I wish, which, yeah, oh boy, buddy. Yeah, I've got buddy. that in my notes. Yep. 
Sam says photos are windows to the soul, which I joked in the Discord is a, a, Sam talking as if he's taken to as if he's that guy who took two anthropology classes in college. Like, oh yeah, all uh, cultures. There are lots of cultures who talk about photos. There are two people of color in this episode. One's named, the other isn't, and she just gives them the plot. Or two talking people of color. That the, when they talk about the shapeshifters. Sam says, in shapeshifter lore, can any of them fly? And Dean says, not that I know of. And I'm sitting there slack jaw, like, jaw agape, staring at the screen going, excuse me? Oh my god. <laughs> excuse me? What do you mean? <laughs> they literally just talked about how, like, there are shapeshifters in, like, quote-unquote, every culture in the world. It, there are so many shapeshifters who can turn yeah. into birds. I don't understand. They're very dumb. Like, I guess the only explanation for that that I can think of is shapeshifters specifically that take other, like, the forms of other humans. But also, mythologically speaking, most shapeshifters in mythology and folklore don't turn into other humans. They turn into, like, animals or other yeah. creatures. Well, you've got doppelgangers and also uh, the idea of the fae child or whatever they call that. Yes, changelings, yeah. yeah. So I guess that, if they were talking specifically about doppelgangers, I guess those aren't, I guess they can't fly, but still. Yeah, it was still a very silly line. It was very silly. Um, I like that Sam has his detective stuff again this episode, of like him Sherlock Holmesing why uh, Dean isn't Dean. Dean has a grenade launcher in his weapon collection, also a shuriken. Oh yes. Classic. He has a shuriken. Which is so good. There's the Vulcan mind melt thing, which we talked about. When Dean sees himself, uh, sees the police, uh, like, sketch of him, he does the classic thing of saying, man, that's not even a good picture of me, which delighted me. Mm -hmm. Very briefly, uh, it bothered Dean more that the shapeshifter drove his car yeah. than it did that uh, they tried to kill Rebecca in his body. Mm -hmm. Which... Well, he does say it's per it's a little personal, like, about the fact yeah. that he's using his body to commit crimes, but it is killing him that the shifter drove his car, which, again, we have this extension of the self in the car. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my final thing before we really, we really get into this is uh, during the scene where Sam's tied up and the shapeshifter plunges the knife into the side of the table, there's a brief moment of calculation on Sam's face as he instantly makes a plan, uh, and I like that. Yeah, Jared can act sometimes. Yeah, yeah he can act sometimes. Um, let's see. Did I have anything? Uh, during the fight scene between Alex and the Alex shifter, there was smoke in the apartment. And I was like, where is this coming from? Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, it was like foggy in there as he was walking around. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> the shifter was vaping uh, while he was beating up the girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Just blowing fat clouds. Um, uh, I, the, this is kind of the first instance we get of, um, which we'll probably expand upon a lot more, but, um, the idea of being a freak, um, uh -huh. and Dean and Sam both, both feeling like freaks, um, at the end of big. the episode, they say, because you're a freak, I'm a freak too, like, straight up mm -hmm. self-identifying with the word. When shapeshifter Dean is talking to Becky, uh, she says, like, what, what is some kind of genetic freak? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting, because that's, like, a, a term bodybuilders use, I think. <laughs> that's mm. interesting. 
I mean, he is literally a bodybuilder, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh I also forgot I was going to watch the X-Files shapeshifter episode because uh, I feel like this is definitely mirroring it um, as far as like the shifter lore and also just the the way the episode like looks and feels. Um, I forgot, but it was a couple months ago, so I don't really remember. Um, another thing I, I noticed when uh, Shif- Shifter Dean is talking to uh, Rebecca and she says, what is it, some kind of genetic freak? He talks about evolution and how like yeah. what if yeah. what if somebody was born like unlovable or whatever and like evolved and i'm like well that's not how evolution works however it is a very good metaphor for being trans and also for masking as a neurodivergent person mm-hmm. um so there's that at least i guess um and of course whenever you have any kind of shape shifting you have the trans reading um, yeah. we're gonna get to queer readings of this episode because there's a lot to do um yeah yeah this is a very, very small aside, mm-hmm. but the phrase genetic, genetic freak also is ingrained in my brain because there's a very famous uh, Scott Steiner wrestling promo where he calls himself a genetic freak and does this very silly math uh, metaphor for why no one can beat him. And I highly recommend people look that up. It's, it's very silly. That's fucking valid. Um... Also, I think this is the first time we see the, like, a close-up of the Samulet, um, and, like, we get hinted at its importance to Dean. Mm -hmm. He pulls it off of the the shifter's body, um, at the end. That becomes very important to the plot later on. Uh, Did the shifter steal his clothes? That was the thing I didn't It did. It stole his jacket, because when he's saying, don't do that, put out an APB on me, he's not wearing a jacket. So it does take at least some of his clothes. He does dress pretty generically. He doesn't really need to steal his jeans, you know? Yeah. Um, Um, that's all the little things for me. I have, oh, um, before we get into the Dean reading of this episode, the shifter says something about how he's gotta do what he's gotta do, and that's the closest we get to a motive for this monster. Yeah. There's no explanation for why this monster kills people. Um, we Mm -hmm. under, we have an understanding of its background and its kind of psyche, but we don't really have why it wants to, like, assault women. That's just what it's gotta do, apparently, which is like the the most explicitly i think that we get like a humanoid creature that doesn't have a motive right like the ghosts have their reasons yeah. for doing things a demon isn't really a person anymore but this is just a shifter who was a person and had a bad childhood and now it just kills people mm-hmm. we all had bad childhoods <laughs> that's all, the plot yeah. of this episode uh-huh. Uh, there is a line on that note where while Sam is tied up, the shifter says how he came from a bad background. Or no, he says, and I thought I came from a bad background because he's currently like oh, yeah. downloading all of Dean's memories. And so he has this understanding <laughs> of what the Winchester family was like. And so explicitly, this family that somehow raised the shifter is better, according to the shifter, than being raised by John Winchester. You know shit's bad when the monster is literally telling you that your dad yep. is fucked up. Yeah. Yep. Like the monster who kills uh. people because it had a bad childhood feels bad for you because of your childhood. I mean, in fairness, they do kill people. They do go around killing things. They do. They do, in fact. There was one final thing. Uh, does the does the fact that I know Dean, I know that the whole thing is like, oh, it's fine that they pinned it on Dean because Dean's now legally It's going to come up again. Does that come up it's, again? Okay, it's that definitely going to come up again. Point. It's a pretty big thing for a while. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's very good. Yeah. Now he's got a criminal record, like big time. They played that as a joke. It was like, oh yeah, you gotta work. Yeah, I, it like, comes it's, up. It's Dean Winchester, and Sam says that in a funny way, and I'm like, isn't that a big deal? It will be. So at I'm the moment, it's funny, but it is gonna be relevant. Yeah. Um, one of the few times they actually pick up the plot thread. Yeah. Good. A couple more things. I like how there's a um, kind of close-up shot in the beginning of just this "Drive Safe America" sign, where we've we've established <laughs> this tone of being on the road in America. Kind of reviewing mm-hmm. that, also kind of a little bit pointing towards the finale of the season, which we'll get to. Um, mm. And on the note of of kind of perceptions of Americana, there's the line that Becky says. I think it's Becky, where she says that um, we're not that far from downtown. So like. Oh, it was um, why they weren't worried that Zach's clothes were stolen. It's because they're not that far from downtown, so, like, things get stolen. So this kind of conflation of uh, physical location, geographical location, with, like, crime levels, which I thought was kind of mm. interesting as um, yeah. as a glimpse into this world-building of, you know, this, this fictional America. Mm-hmm. Speaking kind of of that, I guess, Becky's house really was uh, a lot in this episode, uh, very like upper middle class. Well, it's uh, her parents' that... house, isn't it? And yes. they were like on vacation. And like her, uh, her either her brother or her goes to Stanford. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it sort of ties in the fact of like Sam is sort of an imposter in this life. Isn't there a bit where he talks yes. about never having never having felt like he fit in? Yes, I'm I sure there that's... is, but I don't know where it is. Okay, I'll look for it in the transcript. But but yeah, anyway, the point is is that like they living this like they live in motels mostly. They drive around. They've never lived anywhere in a house like this. And like this is Sam's sort of window into this world, which is interesting mm-hmm. to me. Also, they have like what I think were boxing shorts uh, framed. Yeah, I in noticed a shot. that. I was like, that's a bizarre bit of mise en scène. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on the note of Sam not fitting into college. I think Dean's perception of this and his college friends is interesting, where we have this, mm-hmm. where he, he posits that lying is worse than friendlessness, where he's upset that Sam lies to his friends in order to keep friends, and Dean just says, well, you can't get close to people, that's just what life is like when you're a monster hunter, which again positions Dean in this isolation that Sam is a little bit broken out of, and that he has friends, even though he doesn't tell them the truth about things until the end of this episode where Becky knows the truth and asks if Jess knew and he says no um, and he's kind of sad about that for a minute because he's still feeling guilty about yeah. not telling her about his visions um, but Sam does have friends even if he never talks to them anymore <laughs> after this episode whereas Dean oh. just doesn't have friends like ever he has nobody in his whole life he has his brother who left and his dad who's a piece of shit and left um Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of glad to be here with the two of you, just being able to let me down like this because I would, <laughs> I would be, be, I would be thinking if I didn't know, it's like, yeah, oh, this is gonna be a plot thread going forward as Sam and his friends, but apparently no. Sam makes new friends. <laughs> they have great, that's good. great things going on. Um, um, I found the, <laughs> I found the quote, which is at the end uh, when they're talking in the denouement. Um, where the boys do talk about their feelings briefly this episode, I guess, where Dean says, sorry, man, Sam says, about what? Dean says, I really wish things could be different, you know? I wish you could just be Joe College. Sam says, no, that's okay. You know, the truth is, even at Stanford, deep down, I never really fit in. And then that's where the Dean's like, well, because you're a freak, and I'm a freak, too. Mm -hmm. Happens. 
I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing uh-huh. here? Mm-hmm. On that note, let's talk about the music. <laughs> There's oh, good lord. While the shifter is in the sewers, as Dean, he's preparing to transform into Rebecca. And the way this happens is that he literally tears himself apart on screen. It's very gross. It's a very good effect. It looks disgusting. He's extremely goofy and collapsing and crumbling and really, really gross. Um, They keep finding little puddles of person in the sewers, which is really gross. It's it's gross. I don't have another word for it. It's really gross. Um, I loved the lair. I loved the little sewer lair, the like weird little shrine he has set up. Little piles of clothes. It was very interesting and atmospheric. The sets were good this episode. Mm -hmm. But as Shifter Dean is tearing himself apart, the music that they chose to play over this is um, Freak Show Pretty Boy. Uh, Ash, I it's think you called wanted to Mary about by this. the Death Riders. Okay, thank you. But the the chorus is about don't want to be a freak show pretty boy anymore as he's shredding Dean. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Ash, you wanted to talk about the song, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not very good at analyzing poetry or, or song lyrics, but here I go. Um, <laughs> this song lives rent-free in my head. I tried to find like an actual explanation for what the song is about. Uh, it's a very niche song. Um the only thing I found is on one of those lyric sites positing that it's about um, childhood sexual assault uh, from a family member, um, but that was, you know, user-generated. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like that's such a common, like, edgy person yeah. interpreting interpreting a song. Yeah, I do. like I can see it, but it does not seem quite right. Yeah. So, first of all, this song is like incredible. Um, I love this song. It's very well used, um, but. The way I, one of the, like, the beginning um, lyrics is, who's your mother, Um, who's your father, like, kind of has that, it talks about family in a very, like, traumatic way of, like, feeling isolated from your parents, which is such a Winchester son thing. Um, I I wrote in my notes that it seems like it should be a Sam song, um, because it talks about being, um, like, a freak. But that's kind of, like, part of Sam's characterization as the show goes on. But the lyrics themselves talking about, like, I don't want to be a freak show, pretty boy. I don't want to be your midnight cowboy. Like, those are all very Dean-coded images. Um, Talking about, like, I think this song is about being trans. um, Because a midnight cowboy, uh, I remember Googling this in... 2014, Young Ash was never the same. Uh, A midnight cowboy is a term for a male prostitute who, if I remember correctly, explicitly services other men. Um, Which is very queer Dean reading. Uh Um, And then, like, the idea of being a freak, of being, quote-unquote, a pretty boy. um, And then the final lyric of the chorus is, I just want to be merry. Which coming in the context of Dean is crazy. Let's mm-hmm. get into that for a second. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. But, mm. but the fact that the family unit was John Mary, Dean, Sam, and then Mary left and there's this gap. And so Dean, as the oldest child whose dad has a shitty sense of child rearing, um, rearing <laughs> kind of forces and encourages him to fill this gap by taking care of Sam while he goes off to hunt. So Dean has become this both parents figure to to Sam where Dean has to be the par- both parents to Sam he's this comes up again in I think season 12 or so but where it's made like explicitly clear but Dean is Sam's father he is Sam's mother he is Sam's brother 
it's not a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not good for Sa- for Dean. It's probably not that good for Sam either. And so, as you mentioned, that this feels like it should be a Sam song because of the freakishness, which is why it's so interesting that it is a Dean song because Sam mm-hmm. has reasons that we'll get into over the next two seasons for feeling like a freak, and Dean kind of doesn't, right? Dean is just the everyman figure who Mm -hmm. has this kind of weird lifestyle, but as a person, he shouldn't feel like a freak. He's just living, he's like making weird life choices. He hunts monsters, so he feels like an outsider. But why does he feel like a freak? There's nothing freakish about being somebody Mm -hmm. who shoots things, you know? Um, Which Mm -hmm. is why this episode lends so well to queer readings of Dean. Um, Yes. Let's finally get into that. Oh, finally. <laughs> finally, finally. Rubs um, hands so, together. So let's start from the very beginning of this episode. While Sam is checking his email, Dean kind of notices that he's spacing out and, like, pauses and s- tries to get his attention by saying weird things. And the weird thing he chooses to say is Sam wears women's underwear. And Sam's like, yeah, I'm listening, you know? And we will have to get back to this in season five when it actually comes up. But it does get confirmed later on that Dean is, in fact, the one who likes to wear women's underwear. So like we said earlier in this yeah. episode okay. of our podcast... So- <laughs> Uh, like, Dean says things about Sam that are actually true about himself as a way of making fun of Sam, which is, I don't even know what to call that. Like, this this blatant projection There's onto so Sam uh-huh. and the, the externalization of the things he doesn't like about himself as, you know, projecting it onto his little brother as something he can mock him for. Uh, we have the, the shifter as Dean talks to, Be- to Rebecca about how he was born different, hideous, and hated. That's him talking about the shifter. But then... He says that he's, you know, kind of relate to it. He says he's all alone, close to no one. All he wants is for someone to love him. It's so hard to be different, but there's no reason for Dean, as Rebecca understands him, to feel different. He's just like this hot guy whose brother went to college. You know, like, what is different about Dean in this sense? There's no, not to use a phrase, but there's no heterosexual explanation for this. Um, Like... Mm -hmm. What is it that Dean feels is so fundamentally different and wrong about him, if not queerness? Like, what other explanation could there be for this? And Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be that, you know, the hunting lifestyle, but in the context of everything else about this episode, you know, um, Mm -hmm. the shifter as Dean, it's, it's... Right, but yeah, it's the extremely there. Um, it is not a far mm-hmm. reach for this episode to say that Dean is queer. Um, the shifter as Dean tells Sam, I know I'm a freak, and everyone's gonna sooner or later, everyone's gonna leave me. But there's no reason for Dean to be a freak if he is mm-hmm. just the guy his father thinks he is, you know. Um, there's a montage where Dean, like a very quick flickering, where the shifter is kind of downloading Dean's memories, and I didn't get to see what those images were. I guess we could go through that frame by frame, but I didn't. There's like a very quick flashing of like as he oh. downloads his memories. Yeah, um, I'll do that. I was in the very background. curious about that, but didn't look it up. Uh, Dean, when it's revealed that Dean is kind of tied up right behind Sam. Uh, he says something about how, well, he's not stupid, he picked the handsome one. So, like, we have another Dean poking at his own self-image. You know, he knows what he looks like to people. Mm-hmm. Which is another, like, Dean thing. Yeah, the fact that the the Hooters comment, right, where Sam is trying to get Rebecca out of the room, and he's like, could you get us the beer and maybe some sandwiches? And she's like, what do you think this is, Hooters? And Dean goes, I wish. Because it fits this image of Dean. So... Again, it was 2005. The writers may have just been misogynistic. And, you know, some of the time when Dean makes a comment objectifying women, it's because the writers wanted to objectify women. But some of the time it doesn't read like that, especially Mm -hmm. when he's doing it 
in a more open way, like for an audience, where he says it in a way that somebody can hear him or see him. Uh, this one, he's kind of mumbling it as she walks away. It's not clear if she heard him. Sam hears him and kind of, I, I don't remember this for sure, so I could be wrong, but he probably like rolls his eyes at Dean. Oh, Dean's at it again, objectifying women. Um, yeah, that feels right. But all of this, this like conscious objectification of women lends itself really well to readings of combat right where he knows that he's Mm -hmm. as the person he's supposed to be he is supposed to hit on women whenever he can Mm -hmm. also i want to talk briefly about um dean's objectification of himself um and his own his relationship to his body as like a commodity yes um like clearly he has sex with a lot of people whenever he can because sex is fun or whatever um and because it's like what he's supposed to do but also it it hap- like it ends up becoming really clear that Dean feels like he does not have anything to offer anybody besides himself um whether that be through sex through personal sacrifice through um patting down his own needs in order to provide for others things like that i feel like dean does not view himself as a person i think he views himself as functions yeah mm-hmm. or as like a force as like a which kind mm-hmm. of ties into the like monster hunter thing and the fact that like he's someone who rolls into town mm-hmm. like a cowboy and solves the problem you start to think of yourself in as like purely relational to other people in that way uh, if your only uh interactions with them are this like not transactional mm-hmm. thing but like utilitarian thing of like my job is to hunt monsters my interaction with people is mm-hmm. by being a source of help to them and that's basically it yeah he's he travels the country having one night stands but most people don't even know his name you know he'll save their life but he gave a fake name yeah or maybe mm-hmm. he goes like this is dean you know i'm dean this is my partner sam yeah. whatever fake name um this is one of the episodes where his full name is actually known and it's because he's mm-hmm. being you know framed for murder like that's not really what he wants to be known for but nobody's allowed to know the truth about him um mm-hmm. on that note the fact that dean is the one to kill the shifter drives me crazy oh god yeah like he uh. literally killed the externalization uh-huh. of his th- his concerns about feeling like a freak he was like this cannot be allowed to walk around telling people how i feel um i also think it's interesting that the shifter as rebecca when like while she's um like she has sam captured she says something about how dean will be hunted for the rest of his life because she's the, the shifter is about to frame him for killing sam which he has which is interesting also as like kind of breaking the pattern of the shifter because normally it would be you know, like, if Sam and Rebecca were dating, then the shifter would kill Rebecca and frame Sam, or frame Dean, for like, which fits better to the pattern, like, with the SWAT team chasing him. But the the, the idea that he was, the, he was going to be framed for killing Sam specifically is, I guess it kind of points towards the fact that, like, Dean only has Sam, right? He doesn't have, like, a mm-hmm. romantic interest to frame him for killing he had yeah and obviously i don't want this to have like incestuous overtones i just mean like this is the closest relationship in his life also yeah um on that note like a lot of the time dean um expresses his closeness with other characters especially other male characters as fraternal and like this kind of homosocial way that again is like strongly tied to like the energy of like the army like they're serving together um 
we're gonna see yeah. with like which is probably uh, inherited from his dad again right because yes exactly the like they're raised species. as warriors remember yeah. so like he has this sense of like the people you serve with are your brothers and that is the closest possible relationship um so mm-hmm. so dean doesn't i don't want to say doesn't feel but doesn't conceptualize his relationships with other men as romantic or sexual in any way he only allows himself to call it fraternal so he'll call people his brother mm-hmm. and that is the highest compliment because it is the closest you can get uh going back quickly to the thing you said about uh dean being the one to uh defeat to, to kill the shapeshifter i'd be yeah. interested to get like a running tally of uh which brothers deal with which monsters because i think the only one that sam has been the one to defeat is the demon so far Dean shot the mm. Wendigo. Mm. Uh, Dean uh, held the mirror up to Bloody Mary. Uh, Dean shot the shapeshifter. Uh, I think the other ones dealt with themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the woman in white was dealt with by her yeah. children, but I guess that was because of Sam. He brought her home. That's true. Well, she kind of took over yeah. the car. And then he drove it into well, the house. Well, he drove her in, so that was his accident that I guess that that's ended true. up getting rid of her. So, but it was a little bit less directly. It was also really Dean's car. Her children did. It was Dean's car. Yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting thing um, to me. Of like, yeah, Dean's been the one to be the the uh, ender of whatever the threat is in most episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I even finished my thought here. I was saying how uh, Dean will be hunted for the rest of his life, which again, like this idea of like freakishness, the fact that they their job is hunting right and the, so for dean to be hunted is kind of this mm. neat reversal and um for plot reasons of the next season or two like we've seen already so i guess this isn't a spoiler i can say it with sam and his visions like there's going to be more there of like sam is the one who should be considered a freak who should be hunted yeah and so for dean to be the one who is labeled by the text as someone to be hunted or someone to be ostracized or someone who is not like, um, I can't remember who says it, but I have written down, we are not like other people. I can't tell if it's a quote. Yeah, uh, Dean says, hey man, like it or not, we are not like other people. But I'll tell you one thing, this whole gig, it ain't without perks, and then he holds up a gun and Sam takes it. Very American man of him. Uh Yeah. I also think it's cool that the shifter says that you, meaning Sam, should appreciate him more. Like, as Dean, he's saying that Dean wants to be appreciated, but he says that part in third person. Yeah. The whole, the way the shifter's scripted is so, so good in this episode. Yeah. Um, the line between shifter and Dean mm-hmm. kind of waving in and out of existence is so, so good. They really utilized the the whole shifter thing of like, what, you know, deeper writing purpose can it serve as something other than just a scary monster? It is a reflection of our characters that we have the opportunity to expose some of their deeper psyche. Uh, And I think they did a good job of like, really- This is like a really strong episode. Yes, there's a reason it lives rent free in our heads. The the parallel between um, the shifter literally ripping off its own flesh as Dean and Dean shooting it in the heart. Um, like the, the idea that Dean is constantly destroying yeah. himself for being who he is, mm-hmm. is extremely queer coded of him. And I would love to get, to ask John Shivan what he was thinking when he wrote this. Mm-hmm. We also talked about this, um, a little bit last week when we talk about, um, how he, fucked up the impala as an outburst and as that's a type of self-harm um Mm -hmm. so i think like there's a lot of really subtle nods to dean 
um, hurting himself in non-traditional ways, in, in ways that are much more like psychological than they are. They're not what you think of when you think of self-harm. They're more subtle than that, which I think is really good. I also think the bit after he shoots it where he kind of like crouches next to its body and looks at it for a bit and then takes the necklace back. Um, Ash, you, you mm-hmm. briefly mentioned calling it this amulet, which is for our audience out there who doesn't know what that means. It's a portmanteau of Sam amulet. It is a necklace. That's also that me. Was, oh, and Wyatt. Uh, it is uh, Dean's little <laughs> necklace, which I always thought was a scorpion and it is not. But um, he's Dean is always wearing it. And he was given it by Sam. And it has plot relevance for a little bit in uh, season five. But uh, currently it is just like Dean is always wearing this piece of jewelry. And the shifter stole mm-hmm. it and he took it back. It's very distinct. Yes. I was, uh, I can't remember if I brought it up last time, but it was a thing I wanted to talk about at one point. Like, is this amulet important? It turns out. Um, I found the, the flash scene. It doesn't visually flash. You just get flashes of... Um, Voices, which is what probably made it so difficult to find. It's at like twenty three fifty. Oh, it's yeah. just voices. That makes sense. And that yeah. explains why my notes say to check the script instead of pausing. <laughs> yeah, let me see if I can get any words out here. Oh, okay. The transcript says that it's a quick succession of audio clips from past episodes. So it's not like any uh, new audio. Yeah, one thing I heard is don't be afraid of the dark. Said almost exactly like that, of like really condescending. Mm. It's Dean's voice. Yeah, from episode but, one. Um, Oh, from when he says, what was he supposed to tell you? Don't be afraid of the dark. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all Dean. There's no, I would have expected there to be like more John, but I guess if it's just clips from earlier episodes, they're not going to do that. They wouldn't have any John. Didn't want to record new dialogue. I cannot wait. I can't remember. It's it's in season two, but there's another very good Dean episode and I can't wait uh, to to tear it apart. (laughs) I wanted to talk about lying in this episode as a way of like tying into the shapeshifter. That was like a theme they Mm -hmm. set up uh, with Dean talking as if from experience. He's he's like derided Sam for this before also in like, I'm pretty sure episode Mm -hmm. one even of the idea of like lying to people and thinking that it's bad and it'll only go wrong for you and instead of lying to them you should just cut them out of your life yeah sam says what am i supposed to do just cut everyone out of my life and dean says look it sucks but a job like this what are you supposed to do and i wrote ah my babies (laughs) these poor boys it also sounds a lot like like this is something they've been taught you know like john says you can't have friends in this life as like kind of classic abusive uh isolation tactic right like if they mm-hmm. don't have any contact with the outside world, then they have to rely on John and each other. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. This idea of, like, Dean speaking from experience, of, like, you can't have any connections, it's gonna get revisited in... in 113. Um, cool. cool. Yeah. Cool. Route 666. Um, yeah. Another so, good one. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Very, a very good, if very fun to make fun of episode. But yeah. So yeah, to finish the thing I was saying about lying, um... I think it's interesting that, like, yeah, as as is done in TV, they set up the lying thing, like, it'll ruin your friendships with people, and then turns out it does. Uh, but then it doesn't. Then it turns back around. Like, I guess, in a in a way that is kind of convenient, because she's attacked and, like, sees the shape-shifting thing yes. happen, I believe. And it's like, well, now I, of course, believe in the supernatural. And at the end, she's like... It's it. She's like very positive toward the brothers that they helped her deal with this problem, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But I think it's interesting that despite the fact that Dean so often says telling people the truth will only make you only make people think you're a freak, 
like you can't do that either like you just need to isolate yourself from people here at the end we have a character who knows what's up with them similarly to jerry in the uh in episode four uh, and is very, like, warm and positive toward them in this thing that they do. So it's not true. Like, that's just a thing they've been taught and a thing that Dean has made himself believe. And, like, sure, you can't just, like, tell everybody, like, yeah, we're monster hunters. But they have these people in their lives who, like, know about what they do and can be that sort of support group from them. And the fact that, like, they don't show up again and those plot threads and characters just get abandoned and they don't. I mean, I guess it sort of fits if, like, the boys are intentionally isolating themselves uh, like that, at least until they make other friends later on, like you said. I was mostly joking, but... <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, I know Cass is a character who You don't need to tell him about the supernatural. Lives, Very convenient. But, yeah, exactly. Um, I did want to say, there is a bit when while Becky knows, where, she, I, like I said, she asks if Jess knew, and Sam looks sad about the yeah. fact that she didn't, because if Becky knows and she's okay with it, then maybe he should have told Jess, and she would have been okay Jess with would, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing I just wanted to end out on is, it's like, the show is giving us, like, here's a different way that the boys could be doing about this. I like that it sort of directly contradicts the textual evidence, the argument that Dean is making. Um, mm -hmm. And also, like, the whole lying thing of, like, the shapeshifter is a great... Uh, a great like villain of the week to um really literalize those themes again the mm -hmm. genre urban fantasy really loves to literalize its metaphors fantasy does in general uh and i think it was done strongly in this episode yeah and like i was saying with the um one four with the facade of the tropical background here again we have this idea of like presenting a facade right like this this presentation this appearance that is not you this shapeshifter as far as we know doesn't have his own appearance anymore he only takes on other people's we never see him in like a default state he we only see him as zach and alex and dean and rebecca mm -hmm. um and so i think that kind of relates back to what i was saying about dean and how he's always performing these different personas where he's either the pool shark or the flirt or the action guy or the comic relief and he's he kind of cycles through these personas as needed by the plot but also as needed by the context of his situation mm -hmm. which i think queer dean readings absolutely um I also am very attached to neurodivergent Dean readings. Me too, as I discussed in when we talked yes. about episode three. Absolutely. Being like a goofball and um, like that's such an ADHD thing. The idea of like people will like me if I'm funny enough mm -hmm. um, and that being like the basis for your personality. And then also just masking in general um, feels like a performance. Um, when you're masking for people that you're not comfortable around, it, I'm trying to get squeaker off my keyboard without getting bitten. Um, <laughs> when you're masking around people you don't feel comfortable, uh, it feels like you are a performance. Like you are an actor, be, like playing the part of a neurotypical normal person. Mm -hmm. Which I think is just magnified by the fact that Dean, like, literally can't be his authentic self with anyone. Um, not even Sam. Later on, not even cast. I was going to bring this up with the shapeshifter of, like, again, great literalization of the metaphor is what, who is the shapeshifter, shapeshifter, what, what are they? Like, they seem to have forgotten at this point, and they bleed mm -hmm. into other identities. 
in the same way there's like no quote-unquote true shapeshifter there appears to be no quote-unquote true dean either he's a Mm -hmm. like plethora of deans of different like masks he puts on Mm -hmm. and so on yeah there's a bit while sam is tied up in the sewers where he says where's my brother and the shifter like leans in and goes i am your brother yeah Um, or while he was testing him and you know with with the question and the keys he says where's my brother and he says you're about to shoot him so this this idea that the shifter seems to have or lie about that he he is as valid of a dean as the real dean you know the quote real dean Mm -hmm. he is dean to the same extent that Dean is Dean. Not to bring up Doctor Who, but <laughs> the Rebel Flesh and the Almost People yes. does a really good job of talking about yeah. the same concept. Always drawing the parallels between Supernatural and Doctor Who as as a former reformed Super Who lock. <laughs> okay, so um, I think that's interesting to me about this shapeshifter is the, like you said earlier, the compulsion there's like the thing of like i guess we've only had two um we've only had two murders committed by uh this shapeshifter but i think there were others referenced i can't mm-hmm. remember oh when they're in the lair they say how who knows how many people he's gotten away with doing this too type of thing yeah but yeah. it's it's like unclear how we don't have a full like list of like evidence to use from but the two examples we've had are like a a like romantic partners and then dean like v dean I, I dean clearly was interested in becky with like the hooters comment whether or not that was a performance we've gone into that already but there is that like textual evidence there uh and then the shapeshifter is like i'm gonna go for it with becky as dean oh the shifter the shifter does say dean would bang her if he could and then goes yes, off to yes with it's her. true it's true the shapeshifter is clearly interested uh, in like being romantically involved with people, or at least sexually involved with people, mm-hmm. and we, we don't see what leads to it uh, assaulting uh, the woman whose name I forget. Zach's girlfriend, Emily, or Alex's girlfriend. I don't think she has a name. I'll check the transcript. Yeah. Again, oh, oh, remember. you're right. No, we have three examples, right? Because there's that. We don't see either of those characters. Oh, the script yeah, says her name is Lindsay. Reference. I don't know if that's ever said. Lindsay. Okay. We don't see why uh, he turns on said. her in Sorry. that moment. But but the, I think the the point is, is that this shapeshifter feels like... I've, I've been using, like, different pronouns for the shifter because, like, it turns... It's it's a weird thing of, like... they. I believe the brothers refer to the shifter as a he at one point, but, like... It, it also turns into women. It doesn't seem to have, like, a quote-unquote true self. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know So if more evidence of, like, gender that, fluidity like... and gender queerness in this character. Yeah. Um, I think also while we're on the subject, while, he's ter- while the shifter is tearing itself apart to Freak Show Pretty Boy, it is on its way to turn into Rebecca, I think. So, like, mm-hmm. yes. explicitly mm-hmm. from turning into... Turning from a pretty boy into uh, that's a, a good woman. call, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's clearly looking for like a connection to other people. It beyond the fact that it's like a person who was born. Like this is a, a I don't know a mutant. It's vague about where the shifter powers come from. But the point is, is that there is like a very clearly like magical supernatural thing going on of it downloading other people's memories. It's unclear the method with which it turns into other people, but there is the idea of like closeness there of like knowing someone so intimately like by becoming them 
and like the sexual aspect there of like it being interested in uh other people uh, specifically i again gender things weird it it appears to be more interested in being a man in that context anyway but yeah it it gets the the point where it gets violent is it in the one scene we see it is when it is rejected uh, and at that mm-hmm. point, there is a compulsion or like it's a, this is what I have to do, which I don't know whether that's a thing the monster has to do. If it's again, that ar- archetypal thing, like with Bloody Mary, or if it's like, this is what I like psychologically have to do. This is a thing about me. I have this compulsion when I'm rejected to destroy the, not even destroy, but to like torture the, uh, object who has rejected me. The person who's rejected me, the like context with which i have been rejected i need to reject it in turn i guess mm. well, while uh, I'm it's, looking it's interesting script, um dean while the shifter is him and there's like the police sketch of his face in the window dean refers to catching the shifter as going to find that handsome devil so that's twice this episode dean has called himself handsome mm. uh-huh. um, specifically handsome as like a gendered term as opposed to pretty boy um, I think that's a little bit hyper-masculine of him. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's attractive, but specifically attractive as a man. Um, also, for for the idea of uh, doppelgangers for the folklore minute, uh, in a lot of the, a lot of cases in uh, like Europe, European uh, mythology with fetches and doppelgangers, they tend to be omens of death and fate. And like, if you see your doppelganger, something bad is going to happen to you uh there's a famous story about john dunn seeing his wife's doppelganger on the same night as uh the stillbirth of their daughter uh just just there's a lot of a lot of stories of people seeing themselves and that being a bad thing which again mirrors uh this idea of the externalization of the self uh, being a thing that reveals something unpleasant to you, and the fact that it's only through Dean being externalized in the, as the shapeshifter, like takes, becomes him momentarily, downloads his memories, reveals these things that may be true about him, but also maybe the shapeshifter fucking with Sam. It's unclear, which is juicy. Um, but if you take it in the fact that this is a real thing that Dean thinks, like it is that like omen or a bit of ill fate or like ill thought that Dean has that is being revealed by his personality being externalized in this shapeshifter which I think is interesting on that note we kind of forgot to go back to the shifters like initial speech while he's got Sam tied up shifter as Mm. Dean says uh he sure got issues with you you got to go to college he had to stay home I mean I had to stay home which is where it first shifts into first person there uh i had to stay home with dad you don't think i had dreams of my own but dad needed me where the hell were you so this kind of um finally made explicit how dean has this kind of resentment that he harbors towards sam getting out of the life and getting away from their dad and getting to have friends that that Dean never had the chance to have Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which also tracks further with dean's attempts at domesticity um we kind of get this hint that he wants a, a peaceful apple pie life. It's in at least two episode arcs, but probably more than that. I mean, season six, right? Yeah, well, there's the, um, that which never should be or whatever what the episode is called. And then also two, with, I think. Uh, and then also, yeah, it comes um, up a lot with Lisa. Is the point. It does. Like Dean, 
really, really wants to just have the life that he never got to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He wants safety, he wants family, he wants security, and part of his issue is that Sam got that chance, um, and he didn't. And rather than leaving Sam alone and letting him have that life, Dean kind of pulls Sam away as kind of like a crab in the bucket, you know, if I can't have a good life, neither can you. Yeah. Well, a little bit. He went to get Sam, but he didn't make Sam yeah. stay. It, yeah, it was Sam's choice. Which I think but... is kind of yeah, interesting it wasn't his intention of Dean, John yeah. not letting Sam leave, but telling him he can't come back, which, like, the exact opposite of what Dean's just done. Like, Sam yeah. wanted to leave, and... John said, if you go, you can't come back, whereas Dean wanted Sam to come, but didn't want him to stay, or didn't Mm -hmm. ask him to stay. Yeah, I think, well, because Dean pulled out, like, the manipulation, like, I don't want to do this alone, you know, and the the implication being, like, I don't want to be alone. If dad is dead, I don't want to deal with that by myself. I don't know if I would call Um, that manipulation. That's one of the only times Dean is actually honest about what he wants. I guess that's, I guess that's true, yeah. Um, the poor little meow meow movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think like given the chance, Dean, I think Dean likes to think that he would let Sam have the life he wants. Um, but also Dean is a selfish person. Um, and I think he would have trouble like actually following through with that. Um, it's just one of his many like internal contradictions. It's interesting. I, I see what you mean by Dean being like selfish but i also think he's often very selfless yeah i was gonna Mm -hmm. say i don't know if that's the right word here i think he's a very needy person but he also kind of despises his own desires for um yeah (laughs) what's the second quote right the enormity of my desire disgusts me right like dean desperately Mm -hmm. needs people he desperately wants to be like loved and to have somebody to take care Mm of like on his own terms or that's because that's the only thing he knows how to do Dean just like has so much desire we're gonna get back to this in season five I think but he also really doesn't know how to express it like ever he Mm -hmm. does not think he's allowed to want things so I don't know if selfish is the word Mm -hmm. I would apply here because he he has urges that are not necessarily the best Mm -hmm. for everyone around him but he's also like deeply self-sacrificing yeah I think maybe what I mean is like he wants things for himself, but refuses to, like, mediate that, and so instead is like, I will either force everyone around me to conform to my needs, which is not very frequent, or ignore my own needs because other people's wants are more important than my needs. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a a development that we'll see over the arc of the next few seasons or the entire show or both, where he kind of shifts from never allowing himself to want anything towards this kind of reconceptualization of his needs as being the best for everyone so he knows what's best and therefore everybody should do what he wants them to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Speaking of, like, neurodivergent uh dean readings there's definitely the the idea of like i want to be around people but don't really know how to interact with them outside of like a transactional uh point of view or the idea of like i can do things for people and that will make them like me i don't really know how to interact with them beyond like that not superficial level but like like a conversational level i guess like he's not he's not like bad at talking with people exactly but he's bad at going beyond 
the basics, I guess. Like, he's bad at talking about his feelings, he's bad at doing things that aren't just, like, making jokes or hitting on people. Yeah, he's very much, like, he's learned how to mimic human speech, and so he relies on knowing how people are going to respond to things generally. He's very much like me. The only reason I function at work is because I follow the same script, mm -hmm. but the moment somebody breaks that script, I totally stop working. And I think Dean is the same way, except a much more like complex uh, version of it. He just understands people from an analytical level, um, which is why he's good at lying, but tends to be really unlucky about uh -huh. it. Uh-huh. And why he, he lies very naturally, uh, because it's just another t act he puts on. In, in some ways, Dean is always lying. Yeah, which I'm yeah. excited to get back to when we finally get up to French Mistake. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but that is yeah, much further I, off, so we'll leave that. I joke, about, I joke about Dean being bad at lying, but it's in a different way than you normally would think about being bad mm -hmm. at lying. He's very quick to lie. He's very good at immediately thinking of a thing. This is usually his first like gut reaction of what he's lying about is the wrong one to do. Yeah, yeah. It's also into... Uh, now, mm, I'm gonna have lots of. I'm gonna have to think a lot about lying going forward because Dean is so quick to lie, but at the same time, is very like clearly thinks lying is a bad thing. At least to the people mm -hmm. who you care about, or like is a thing that won't work for you. So I guess there's the there's the thing there about like Dean lies, especially to people who he doesn't care as much about, or like doesn't think he'll see again. Or like, I thought you were gonna say especially to a... himself. So that was really a gut punch of a ah. sentence. Well. <laughs> uh. I think he lies, like, the way he justifies lying is, like, I'm doing this to protect them. Yeah. yeah exactly. And then when people lie to him to protect him, he gets pissed yeah. off and feels betrayed, but he doesn't have, like, the sense of self-awareness to understand, like, the problem. <laughs> Again, the thing of, like, uh, you, you often only see the negative aspects of yourself or the parts of yourself that you don't like in other people and don't see in <laughs> yourself. Uh, like in the uh, in the Bloody Mary episode of Sam seeing that part of himself in Charlie. Mm -hmm. Well, we could uh, we could begin to wrap things up here. Yeah, I, I already talked about the thing of like, man, it's it's nice to see that Sam has a friend that it's uh, that's chill with him doing what he does, and it's sad that that won't come up again. Yeah. So next time we are talking about. Uh, season 1, 7, 8, and 9. Uh, Hookman, Bugs, and Home. Which is such um, a collection. <laughs> it is such a collection. Hookman and Bugs are very Monster of the Week. Home is very big. Uh, family. It, it lends a lot of context to family I'm and what happened that night. Ultra also introduces one of my favorite characters, Missouri. Um, oh, my beloved. She is queen. But yeah. I don't remember what the rest of the stuff we were supposed to say for an outro is. We still don't have one. <laughs> we still don't have one. Okay. For now, we're driving off into the sunset. Yes. Uh, yeah. Join us next week as we sit on the edge of our seats again.
The music used on Word of Godcast is The Last Ones by Jazar on freemusicarchive.org. Licensed under an attribution share alike 3.0 international license. Find a link in the episode description.